You're listening to Geeks Unleashed, a podcast that covers what's current in the world of pop culture. I'm Mark Brassington, and I'm in London. And I'm Jasmine in Texas. Hello, welcome to Geeks Unleashed. This is episode 62. And on this special episode, we are doing a flashback to the 80s and also celebrating Mark's birthday. So he gets to have an entire He-Man episode dedicated to him for his birthday. And we did get a few people to sort of send in some messages. So I'm just going to go ahead and play some of those birthday messages for you, Mr. Birthday Boy. Happy birthday, Mark. Getting to hang out with you and Jasmine over the last year has been one of the best parts of 2020-2021. And uh, you're one of the kindest, most sincere, geekiest guys I've ever met. Um, Even if you don't like Castlevania, I'm so happy to have been on the podcast with you. Happy birthday, man. I hope it is a fantastic year. Mark, happy birthday, bud. Big four zero. Hey, it's Nick from Original Geek Comics. Uh, Mark, I just want to tell you, man, happy 40th birthday. You're getting old, buddy. Uh, I just want to say it's been great listening to the podcast and getting to know you more by chatting it up on the gram so much all the time and enjoying our love for Ben Riley and all many other things. It, it's been fun. You guys do a great job. But I want to just tell you, Mark, happy 40th birthday, and uh, y'all have a great day. Hi Mark, Derek Flynn here. Just wanted to wish you a happy 40th birthday and continued success to you and Jasmine with Geeks Unleashed. It's a great show. Station, what's going on everybody? This is Fable from One Collection down on Instagram, part of the PCP Army Bad Batch. Man, I just want to wish my brother Mark a happy 40th birthday. Um, I recently turned 41 myself, so I know what you're going through, Mark. I know. <laughs> let me stop playing oh mark man happy birthday brother man i love 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 what you're doing i love your work i love the geeks on Leash podcast man here's to many more birthdays uh continued success brother um much love station what's going on geeks unleashed it's cookie from just a little podcast mark happy birthday my friend congratulations on 40 years on this little planet we call earth it is a huge milestone. I'm very happy for you. I hope you have a wonderful birthday. I hope you're hanging out with friends and family and, of course, staying safe. Hope you get lots of love, lots of gifts. But, yeah, just wanted to say a happy birthday to you. You're an awesome dude. And I can't wait to talk to you guys in the near future and hang out with you guys, podcasting, whatever it is, on social media. But until then, you guys stay safe, and I'll catch you guys next time. Take care. Bye. Hey, it's Dell from the Brothers in Armchairs podcast, calling in a 40th birthday shout-out to Mark. Now, as a guy whose 40th birthday has long since been in the rearview mirror, I wanted to impart with you a little words of wisdom. First, you're only 40. Don't go dyeing your hair, buying a sports car, or trying to get ripped in your local gym. You have at least 10 more years before you're going to do that. Second, take a moment to reflect on where you've been and the people in your life who have shared your adventure. And finally, keep podcasting. Podcasting stimulates that creative juice that we really need, especially when we're older. So have a great 40th birthday. Love the podcast and all your social media posts. Aloha. So just just a few messages. We also got some Instagram messages from you, uh, from some of our friends. 
most of those were just kind of happy birthdays, but we got some shouts from the GoFloat pod. That's Tim and Lizzie over there. Uh, Trey Bryan and Irvin at Nerd Nostalgia. Chris and Dave at Nerd by Word. Aaron from Girls Talk Comics. We also got your mom left you a really sweet oh, message. No, I don't oh, know no, if you no. saw that. I did see that, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, thank oh. you guys so much for participating. We really appreciate that. So that was a, a fun way to kind of ring in Mark's 40th birthday. So also joining us this week, we've got Rock and Robbie from the Pop Culture Philosophers. Hi, Robbie. Hey, happy birthday, man. Station. Thank you very much, dude. Like, um, and we also have got Adam from Go Figure uh, on YouTube. How, how's it going? I'm super excited to be here for your birthday party. So much so that um, I just like I got myself a loot bag. <laughs> I knew that if I was at your real birthday party, I would have got one. And I actually got one here for Robbie and one for Jasmine, but I'm in Canada. So if you yeah. guys are in Canada, swing by and you can get your loot bag. Um, but just to see what's in there, like uh, there, there's a Hot Wheels car in the loot bag. Yes. <laughs> this is an audio um, like media, and I'm already pulling up visuals and whatnot. You've um, <laughs> got a uh, Mandalorian pencil, so that's I can write a note. It um, is not a gift bag if there is no pencil. Like that was like the epitome of eighties gift bags, right? Last time I mentioned stationery, there was definitely a language barrier. Like when I said when I said rubbers, uh, really confused yes. Robbie. <laughs> In North America, um, I got some fun dip that I'll be um, eating during the podcast. If you hear smacking and sour, like that's going on. Um, I got a deck of Star Star Wars playing cards, so if yes. I get those, I'll play solitaire over here. And then uh, I got um, some nerds because that's gotta have the nerds, right? And then, and, and I, this is very Canadian. Um, I got something called rockets. <laughs> Those look like Smarties. So in Canada, Smarties are like a Canadian version of M&Ms. They're chocolate candies with the chocolate with candy coating. Oh. These are called rockets. And when you go south of the border, these become Smarties and Smarties don't exist. Interesting. Uh, I got some snacks and some cute things to keep me busy, but just all in celebration of your birthday, Mark. That's Thank an awesome goodie bag. <laughs> <laughs> um, on social media every week, we do a versus, um, which is normally, well, I try to keep it themed of whatever we're doing this week. So if anybody doesn't know, when I think a lot of people didn't know Striga, <laughs> Striga from Castlevania. Castlevania. More of you um, need to watch Castlevania. I was very disappointed. Versus Taylor from the Master of the Universe Revelations. So, Robbie, Adam, uh, have you both watched Castlevania? Yes. No. No. Uh, Robbie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I watch a lot of stuff, you know. Yeah, I know, I know. I know. I know. We, we, you know, we've joked about that, me and Jasmine. Like, Robbie, Robbie works hard, reads a lot, watches a lot. Um, but so Striga is a vampire character in um, Castlevania. So we we put up, pitch up what versus every Wednesday two characters, you know, and Striga versus Tila. And I think Tila won by a long shot. Uh, unfortunately, I think that was mainly due to the fact that not many people knew Striga was. Yeah. So uh, my bad. Um, that was my pick, guys. Sorry. Never oh. apologize for picking an underdog. That is. Well, I mean, she was definitely. My, I still think she would kick Tila's ass. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens? Who didn't know who she is is now going to watch Castlevania because they don't want to look ridiculous on the internet. This is true. So, Robbie, if you're yeah, yeah, like me, <laughs> <laughs> well, Robbie, like she, all you need to know is she's sort of a vampire warrior, you know, yeah. in armor with a sword. So, do you think a vampire warrior with a sword could kick Tila's ass in Master of the Universe Revelations? That that Tila. 
What, the revelations, Tila? Yeah, yeah. The oh, revelations, yeah, because Tila. she'd be crying about not knowing that Prince Adam was He-Man. But, <laughs> you know, the, you know, my Tila, the Tila that I remember, uh, or the Tila that that is in my head, uh, would totally be able to handle a vampire. I mean, Skeletor and the evil warriors, they're like all kinds of monsters, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, so like, what's a vampire to Tila? Just an average day, <laughs> right? Just a Tuesday afternoon. Robbie, it was serious business, okay? She couldn't mourn her best friend because she didn't know who he was. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> sure. We'll go with that. I like that. That's cool. Um, so, yeah, in the comments, Tila basically kicked Trigger's <laughs> ass, um, and that's unfortunately how it is. So, Adam, what, what, did, you, what, what did you pick? I know you commented. Oh, what was your pick? I, I actually commented on it, and uh, I said that Tila would win, but only if the battle took place in Eternia. I feel in this this battle, home planet advantage really plays plays a big part. Um, yeah. Every time something kind of looks bad for our heroes in Eternia, like magic happens, some kind of magic, pesky <laughs> magic. There would be if if you know trigger bitter in the neck and she was like turning vampire like the source would show up and like turn Tila back into it. Like, there's always going to be a, a magic MacGuffin to get Tila out of that situation if she's on Eternia. If it happens on Earth, she did. She did. She did. Did. <laughs> I like um, that reasoning. I'll go. I'll go with that reasoning. So Adam, um, as the the master of toys. Um, although I think I think looking at Robbie's background, I know again we're doing visual stuff. He, he's got some stuff to rival you there, but you were gonna obviously tell us a little bit about sort of the history of the He-Man toys. Yeah, so it, um, Masters of the Universe. It's it's funny when you look at the origin of the actual line versus where the toy state today is. It's actually a, a real crazy juxtaposition. Whereas um, Masters of the Universe came about because Mattel had no presence in the boys action figure aisle to speak of. They had like the big gym line, but that was kind of like a, a toned down version of um, G.I. Joe in a weird scale. And so Star Wars, when it came out in 1978, the toys changed the way boys toys were marketed, changed the way that boys played with toys, changed kind of the whole landscape. So Mattel said like, what are we gonna do that's gonna be compete with with Star Wars, we, 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 need, we need to get something in that, in that vein. So they collaborated and, and got to the drawing board and then they eventually ended up with this muscle bound barbarian slash sci-fi show. But really it was, we need to come up with something new because Star Wars is, is blowing us out of the water. So we need to create something new. And so it was really just born out of necessity and a, a new IP was created in 1981 where it was like a show came out of it and movies came out of it. And like this whole marketing, um, the eighties were He-Man and the masters of the universe everywhere you looked. Um, and then we look at the line today, it's very much Mattel saying like, Oh, we just need to redo what we've done. You know, don't do anything new. Just do another He-Man, do another battle cat, do another He-Man, another battle cat. And all these versions of it coming out and it, the charm and the, the brilliance of He-Man was that it was something brand new. Even before the cartoon came out, because um, the cartoon came out in 82, 83. But for that first year, they were just these toys that had a comic book mini backstory that was much different than the filmation show. But if you were like me when you were a kid, you looked at the pictures, but those comic books did not dictate how you played. And so <laughs> you were really just creating this whole, all you knew is that this was He-Man, he was good. This was Skeletor, he was bad. They both had a sword. They both had cats to ride on. And there was this world. 
And so you got to just experience it and make it up yourself. And, you know, Robbie said earlier, he's like, well, my Tila, and that's what we had. Like I had my He-Man and I had my Skeletor. And, and then when Filmation came, they kind of directed us a little bit um, more, but it, it was this, this toy line that um, it was a different scale. It was five and a half inches and the guys were squatted down and they were all muscle bound. Mm. And uh, they actually, the first, the first wave of figures only had three bodies. They had a, a beastie hairy body. They had a reptilian kind of lizard body and they had a human body and they just used those parts for all the figures and throughout the whole line it was just re part recycling, part recycling, part recycling. And uh, you know, that's why they were able to make these figures in such abundance and, and be creative with the, with the look of them. And then later on, what became the undoing of the line is when they were doing all these wacky characters, um, but because it was around for so long. So it came out in 1981 and it was on the shelves until 1987, like the, the same run of figures. And you don't really see that nowadays, right? It, most, right. Of, most of the toys on the toy aisle uh, are based on movie properties. They're either legacy properties, so Transformers and GI Joe, Masters of the Universe, or wrestling. Wrestling has been a constant. Um, but the toys that are really geared towards kids, not adult collectors, are based on movies. So if Man of Steel comes out or if The Dark Knight comes out, both of which I don't think kids should watch, <laughs> action figure lines directed to kids. And so they last <clears throat> like one run. They have the, the movie figures come out, the summer goes, and then the Christmas kind of cleans them up and then it's gone. And so you don't really see a figure line that lasts seven years like He-Man did. And so the problem with that is if you were born in 1983. By the time you were five, He-Man was still around. But when you went to the stores, you couldn't buy a He-Man and Skeletor figure. You could buy Snout Spout and Mosquitoor and uh, Clamp Champ and, and Ninjor, but you couldn't get the entry level guys. You couldn't get your Superman and Lex Luthor or your Batman and Joker. You couldn't get the characters that you knew and loved and saw every day. So actually toy retailers said to Mattel, we need more He-Man figures. And he and Mattel mistook that to say we need more characters. So they did like a Randor and they did all these characters that they, but what the retailers needed was they needed He-Man and they needed Skeletor so kids could buy in. Because the line had a lot of longevity left. And with the the unreleased, you know, um, power of Grayskull line coming out, it was gonna be, be like a lot of fun. But without He-Man and without Skeletor, there was no buy-in from kids, and that's what that's what tanked the line. Yeah. Why, why would they have done that though? Like, why wouldn't you put out more of your big two? But I, I just think it was like, there was a checklist and they had, we have, those have been released, those have been released. And so, you know, again, in 81 to 80s, in those days, which we, we in the toy world call like the glory days of action figures, because there was really no rules and they did all kinds of stuff. There, there was no history to back it up. Right, the action figures that sold before then, or the you know the dolls that sold before the action figure craze, were GI Joe, and and Barbie wanted to model it for girls, which which was you bought your you bought your GI Joe or your Action Man, and then the things you bought after were just clothes and guns and, and accessories for it. But you had your one or two figures, and then everything else was an accessory. Where this was, you know, Star Wars was based on a movie, but Masters of the Universe was, was really the first sci-fi action figure line that came out and they were breaking new ground they didn't know what they were doing well i watched a documentary of um the power of grayscale which talks about the origin of the toys mm -hmm. and it felt like to me just that they were kind of making it up as they went along they basically one of the designers was drawing what was going to be he-man and some marketing guy walked past and just said 
what are you drawing there? And it was just a sketch. And he goes, oh, can I borrow this? And so he took it to a marketing meeting. And and all they had, like you just said at the time, was like Big Jim, like the Ken, Ken Dolls route. Um, and they kind of were just sort of putting it together. And you, you know, you said about the... Uh, the same figures they were building it all together on the cheap so they were using the same body shapes a he-man skeletal all of them were built using the same body they just change their heads <laughs> and and when and when they were running out of money because they had to make the um sort of the uh sort of the what do you call it the imprints that make the figures yeah, they yeah. they didn't have enough money to make something for he-man to ride on so they they came up so what they said was well why don't we nick the casting for um the big gym had a cat um yeah. so then they took that to make uh, to make sorry battle cat but they said oh let's just paint him green and then stick a um like a you know a little saddle on him and so it just really felt to me like the, the high, kind of what we've got now in he-man really was put together with a lot of luck in the early 80s um it was just like literally tripping over themselves um so i remember and i remember as a kid like so i was born in 81 yeah. And obviously I wouldn't have been interested in things like He-Man until probably 85 or 6. Right. And I, I can remember like Christmas Day getting things like Cast of Grayskull and He-Man and, and Skeletor and just been so excited about, about opening those toys. So obviously He-Man, to me, is just a very nostalgic thing for the 80s. Um, well, I'm going to make a bold guess, Mark. Yeah. If you were born in 1981, yeah. I would say the He-Man you opened on Christmas morning wasn't the regular He-Man. It was the Battle Armor He-Man. Yeah, I got. I remember I got one that you had one where it rolled a chest plate. Yeah, that's um, definitely yeah, yeah. And I, but I did. I did think they did get me an original He-Man. I do remember having an original He-Man at some point. Yeah, so, but I do remember having different variations of He-Man as well. Yeah, because you know they had a He-Man, but it was Battle Armor He-Man, which was close but not the same. Then there was Thunder Punch and Flying Fists and, and Laser Sword. You know, they were laser like, <laughs> which got pretty pretty rough. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a, a, a lot of luck and a lot of creativity. And I think that looking at the, not to get into the talk with the toy world, but when you look at decisions being made now, about what action figures go onto the, onto the pegs and how many, it's a lot of spreadsheet data. It's a lot of like, well, we sold Duke. So we're going to make another Duke that's bigger. We're going to like, it's, it's not, no one's trying anything new. And mm. in 81, it was, it was all new. It was like, let's just try it. And it's funny with, with the Battle Cat, you know, taking the, the mold from Big Jim. Big Jim actually stole that tiger mold from a Tarzan line before that where he was a panther. So he was originally a black panther who became a tiger, who became Battle Cat, who became Panther. <laughs> I, don't know, I didn't know that as well. Robbie, what do, you, do you remember, um, obviously, what your memories of opening up He-Man as a kid? Oh, man, I love <clears throat> I love the Motu stuff. I uh, I ate it up. And yeah, I was born in 81. So the first uh, He-Man and Skeletors I had were the battle armor. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of other characters that were coming out at that point, but I loved them. Like, I remember being fascinated with the Horde. So mm-hmm. like, yeah. I still like when the reason why I dipped back into collecting the Motu stuff vintage is because I just was like, well, I'll get the Horde and the Snake Men. Like they were my favorites. And yeah. now it's become this whole thing where like, that's the big focus of my collection. And by the way, Adam, great collection behind you. And all the way in the back in the corner, is that a conduit Superman action figure from the nineties? Uh, yeah, that's exactly what that is. You have awesome. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we can ride then. So that's awesome. <laughs> um, conduit is, is my credentials and it, uh, I'm in your books. 
Well, just like the fact that you have that, like, I thought I was the only person that had that toy. I opened it up one day on stream and everybody's like, what's that? I was like, it was just this random Superman villain from the nineties. Yeah. They made this toy line. They're like, who's the big villain? Um, but it was a character you could take his, his head off. By the way, uh, Snout Spout's one of my favorites too. Um, love that character. So, I mean, I love the toy line. I loved how they were monsters. Like the bad guys were super monsters and yeah, we can criticize them for using the same body molds and things like that. But it's exactly what Kenner did when they did the Dark Knight line. They used a lot of stuff left over from like Silverhawks or, or superpowers and things like that. So that's I'm, just I'm been part no, of it. I'm in no way critiquing them using the same body parts. Um, no, I mean, it is an easy critique to be like, oh, well, these were cheaply made. Well, of course, all those things were cheaply made, right? Um, so I actually like some of the later figures where they're a little bit different. But I mean, I just love the whole damn line. I think they're cool. At the time, you know, like Star Wars figures were dominating. And honestly, when I was growing up, I didn't really like those tiny little figures. They were kind of boring. And the He-Man, because they were bigger, because they were super built, like there was something about it that was much more dynamic. And, and it blended everything. It blended savage sword and sorcery stuff with like fantasy and, and uh, like magic. And, and, but sci-fi, there's like they have laser guns and, 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 and stuff like that. And so well, I think I'll it's a brilliant line and the greatest place that we've ever gotten is Castle Grayskull ever? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> um, I loved Castle Grayskull as a kid. Like that was brilliant. Just if we're being honest, the, the three of us—I'm not going to um, ask Jasmine her age—but we're all born in '81, <laughs> and so Star Wars was done by the time we were playing with toys, right? Like '84 was the last. Yeah, 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 drama. yeah. I, I, mean, I, I remember my grandma buying a lot of Star Wars toys at car boot. I don't know if you guys have car boots over there, but like, like yard sales here. <laughs> no, we, we don't have yard sales. We do car boots. Uh, like everyone gets in their car, drives to a market, sorry, drives to a big plot of grass somewhere. It's a and, flea market. And we all pop open yeah. our boots and get tables out and sell our crap on, on tables. Just sell um, rubbers or something out of those boots? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Some rubbers, yeah. Tables that have aluminium legs. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you know what, though? The other playset I did love, um, you know, we talk about Carl's Grace, but the other playset I did love was the Ghostbusters playset, you know, of the um, uh, the building. Like, the firehouse. Yeah, the firehouse. Oh yeah, yeah. I never had and a they... firehouse, but I had a proton pack and a ghost trap. Oh. And oh, I wow. wore those things until I got too big to wear them. Like I <laughs> played with my Ghostbusters stuff forever. I love that you could pull the slime in the top of the fire thing out of the firehouse. <laughs> I never got to do that. I want to do it so bad. A little plug is in two weeks, our episode is going to be um, making from scratch um, repro proton packs for vintage Kenner Star Wars. Or, um, oh, sign me up. So we're going to be... I thought you were going to say making slime. <laughs> no. <laughs> Did you know no, no, that we'll no. it wasn't advertised, but the, the slime pit came out, the Horde um, Fright Zone, the slime, the slime that came up there. If you got it on your carpet in the 80s and you called and contacted Mattel, they would replace your carpet for you. Wow. Well, wow. And thousands of dollars replacing carpets after the slime the slime trap came out. I wish they would replace my Grizzlor because I was a I was a dumb kid. Got slime all up in my Grizzlor. <laughs> Why don't you call them now? See if they will cover it like twenty five year uh, yeah. warranty. Isn't it a lifetime warranty? Vintage <laughs> <laughs> Grizzlor. If they were smart, if Mattel was smart, and you called them, they would send you an Origins Grizzlor. They'd say, "Here you go," and they uh, had that Origins line. 
<laughs> just to harp on things. If you don't like it, let's just not talk about it. This is a birthday party. We're here to celebrate. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> um, so Jasmine, Jasmine's going to um, take over now. Go oh, on, man. Okay, so I pulled some uh, some trivia questions, and I'm going to quiz you guys. Since since I'm the newbie when it comes to this film, I got some. Uh, Can some you... of it might be a little obscure. Some of it might be pretty obvious, but we're going to go through them anyway. Jasmine, so Adam? this is for my well-being. Uh-huh. Um, from the, for the rest of the episode. Can you not refer to it as this film? Can you refer to it as this glorious film? Nope, can't do that. Sorry. I, I may be burdened with glorious purpose, but I don't use that word so sparingly. Sorry, Adam. Um, when, when, I think when Jasmine's uh, going to quiz us, it's going to be basically shout first. It's not going to be write it down. And, you know, so we're not, we're not, we're not at, um, winner gets bragging rights at the yeah, end. Yeah. That's, that's all, that's all I got for you guys. Rockets to get all powered up here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So first little tidbit of movie trivia here for He-Man Masters of the Universe in 1987. Not glorious film. Um, if by chance you were to get your hands on one of the three original comic cosmic key props, how much would they be worth today? I'm going to... 100 grand? 100 grand? Okay. 100 grand? I'm going to say 3875 Okay. 3875. I'm going to say $1. $1. Okay. All right. Just like Price is Right, right? Yes. The closest without going over. <laughs> in, in that case, Adam is going to win. The, the estimated value of a Cosmic Key original prop is $6,000. Oh. I was not so far off. <laughs> I, was probably, I was way off. You were way off, Mark. You were way off. <laughs> I was way off. All right. Next oh. question. So, obviously, clearly see more value in this property than ever people. <laughs> well, we all have our delusions. Um, okay, so with this film, Dolph Lundgren, much yeah. like Arnold Schwarzenegger when he first got into acting, he was very new and his accent was very thick and not really set for the American ear. So there will be, but, but he had a really good agent. And his agent made sure to write into his contract that they could not do to him what they did to Arnold and just automatically dub his voice over after the film was done. So the, the agent wrote a clause that said they had to give him a certain number of tries to do his own ADR after production was done. How many chances did he have to do his own voiceover before they replaced him entirely? Three. A handful. A handful of... Uh, okay, we got, so we got five, we got three... I would probably go five. Robbie is spot on. It was three. Oh. three. Three times written into the contract that he had to dub over his own voice. But did you also, in your trivia, come up with the, the data that they had no money, so he got zero tries? Yeah, this is true. This, they, it, it, which is what's so funny, because when I was watching the movie, the, obviously for the first time, when he first speaks, I'm like, yeah, that sounds like, that sounds like Rocky, Dolph. Like, that sounds very familiar. Um, and then like later in the movie, I was like, what kind of accent is that? Where did that one come from? <laughs> but he is so all over the place, up and down throughout the whole film with, with his accent. But you know, hey, yeah. okay. All right. True or false? The film shifted its setting from Eternia to Earth because of money. False. I, would, I would say true. Okay. We got one true. Somebody false. said false. I said false. Yeah. Adam no, said I said false. true. True. It is true. Um, they had originally a $15 million budget for this film. 
they ended up spending 22 million and the film only made back 17 million. Um, but yes, Eternia was far, far too expensive. And Gary Goddard, the director, had to actually fight to keep the Eternia scenes that they did film because <laughs> they didn't have any money to do like reshoots or anything like that. So yes, they switched to Earth to save money. Do you know what? I did not know that. And um, for yeah. years, me and my friends have been joking about it, saying it's like they ran out of money and go, how exactly are we going to finish happened. this film off? <laughs> uh, but was the decision, sorry, I'm, I'm confused. I have, I have other sources and, 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 and uh, research done, but was it before they started filming, they changed the story to be on Earth to save money or mid-filming, are you saying? No, no, bef- like early in filming. Okay, yeah. because mid-filming, they ran out of money and another thing happened. Yes, yeah. mid-filming, they ran out of money and then they couldn't do the last, like they shut down production early. Pull the plug on Yeah. All right. So in one of these scenes that we have spread out, it is like an overhead shot of Nowheresville, USA, Earth, where they film. Uh, so miniatures from two other films were used to fill in the gaps. What were those two other films? So mid mid nineteen eighties is is going to be your frame of reference. Canon films, right? Because it was made by the Canon Group, so it probably in that in that Canon world. I'm thinking Superman four. Yeah. Okay, or... that that's one guess. Superman four. Yeah, Any other guesses? Missing in action. Okay. Over the top. Over. Okay. All right. Those are all incorrect. The the. <laughs> <laughs> the, the two like films them. are Ghostbusters and Back to the Future. Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Oh, I, I do know that Back to the Future set had its um, set reused in another movie. That's another movie. Probably, what was that? Yeah. Back to the Future is a soundstage. There is a ton of stuff that was filmed on the same exact sets as Back yeah. to the Future. It's a universal oh, okay, stage. Okay. Um, okay. So when they finally started to actually do the development for the film. Director Gary Goddard had one comic titan in mind that he wanted to work with for sort of to do like storyboards and and, uh, background stuff and that kind of thing. Who was that comic titan? Oh, was it Jack Jack Kirby? Kirby. That is correct. Yes, it was Jack Kirby. However, that fell through. Didn't work out whether that was timing or budgets, but it never actually happened. And an interesting like tie-in fact is that Mattel, before they made Master of the Universe, was working with Jack Kirby to make a New Gods toy line. And they did all the development for it and all the art, and then that got scrapped. But a number of those designs were then just pulled and used for Masters of the Universe. Interesting. You see see Zodak with his helmet flying around in a chair. That's a New new Gods poll, 100%. (laughs) All right. So a uh, bit of wardrobe trivia here. The costume that Meg Foster wore as Evil Lynn was heavy. So heavy that she never ever sits down in the film and it caused extensive bruising from her wearing it while on set. How heavy was Evil Lynn's costume? 100 pounds. Okay, 100 pounds? I'm going to say 18 and a half pounds. 18 and a half pounds. Mark? I don't know what all this pound stuff means. Like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, I'm sorry know. we didn't convert it into the metric system for you, Mark. My apologies. I don't know, four or five stone. Like, how much? What's what's a stone? Is a stone twenty pounds? Uh, hold on. So eighty pounds uh, is, is your guess. 
Uh, hold on. Uh, we're converting. I am converting. Four, that's 56 pounds. Yeah, go on then. Okay, so fi- we got 56 pounds, 18 pounds, and 100 pounds. The correct answer is 45. Her costume weighed 45 pounds. So that's like like four and a half stone, right? Um, no, no, no. That's, how much was it? 45. That's, 45 that's three pounds. stone. Okay, three. three stone. There you go. Um, so yeah, they, but she said it helped her stay in character because she was so miserable while wearing the costume that it was very easy to keep that stoic evil in face going throughout (laughs) filming. Okay. True or false. All of Skeletor's footmen are robots. Like what in real life? Not, (laughs) not generals, not the generals, just the footmen. The, the sort of the Star Wars trooper guys. Yeah. Uh, It's false. True, sure. I'll go with true. Mark? I, I would say it's false because there was one of them that they do have a conversation, kind of. You are incorrect. It is false. I mean, it's true. It's true. It's true because Mattel had a stipulation in the contract that said He Man and his allies could not kill a living being. And since He Man couldn't kill a person, all of those footmen in all black were robots oh okay <laughs> but like you can't soldiers. really tell that no they, um, they, they are real classic <laughs> robots. They're, I don't, they're, they don't seem like robots to me they're high but. grade but apparently they are all robots because mattel said he man can't just go around killing people i want to see i want to see the scene where he man sits down with one of the footmen and goes you're in the desert and you see a tortoise and it's on his back and then they do the whole blade runner are you really a replicant that's a tortoise it's like a turtle okay let's see uh oh all right four characters were created for the film that are not part of the original toy line who are those four characters karg yes yeah karg blade blade yes sawrod yes and gilt wildor yes oh good yeah yeah the reason- also, Courtney Cox. Yes, that's true. Or was she? Um, so, Gwildor was interesting because he replaced Orca. Uh, the yeah. reason that there is no Orca in the film is because. Any budget. Budget, yes, because Orca floats and they're like, we can't, we ain't got no money to make nobody float in this movie. So, they replaced him with Gwildor instead. Oh, I love Gwildor, though. <laughs> <laughs> all right true or false frank langella has said that this is one of his least favorite experiences as an actor false 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 yes it's very false he was yeah. super excited for I'll this be. role he said he took it for his son because his son loved the cartoon but also because there were no expectations he got to just have a lot of fun with it and pretty much do whatever he wanted in the role so he loved it and i want to say like his performance to this day stands up and is one of the factors that makes this film glorious mm. There's that word again. I don't think that yeah. word means what you think that word means. <laughs> he is one of the best movie villains oh, of, of the 80s. And, and it, he gets overlooked. His, his performance is delicious. It's yeah. amazing. Oh. Okay, last question, guys. So in the film, early in the film, when they get to Earth, Gwildor repurposes a pink Cadillac. But as that car is moving, he like replaced the engines or something and, and tweaked it up. Run, and it was made like an attorney a ride. Uh, but it sounds suspiciously like another vehicle famous for the Lady 80s. Vulcan. <laughs> what vehicle makes the exact same sound as this pink Cadillac? The Millennium Vulcan. 
That's one guess. I have no I idea, so I I'll just know. say, I'll say the know. DeLorean. Okay. Mark? Oh, uh, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, I, can't, I can't think. It is the DeLorean. It actually oh. has the exact same startup sequence as the DeLorean. So that oh. was not, not, not even like a reproduction. It, they literally just copied and pasted pretty much. So. Nice. They literally stole from the Back to, back to the Future. Absolutely. Uh, they sure did. They had, they had no shame, <laughs> did they? Really? No. Like, so. The 80s. Of course not. <sighs> no, bro. They were like, we got 15 mil to make this movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll right. just let them sue us later, I guess. So. Yeah. <laughs> they won't have any money, so what will they get? <laughs> exactly. They also stole the principal. Well, yeah, yeah. He, he literally plays the same character pretty much in both. But he literally is um, the the, the uh, principal and and you know the detective. They're interchangeable. <laughs> James you know. Tolkien, right? James Tolkien, yes. something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I actually thought it was funny when I was watching this because I lived in I lived in LA for a little while and I lived close to uh, WB Studios in Burbank and the sequence where they're all on the street fighting, like at the pawn shop and the music store and all that stuff. I thought for sure that they filmed that in Burbank, but they didn't. They filmed it in Whittier, California, which close enough, but still. Um, so that's all I got for trivia. Thanks for playing. Loved it. So <laughs> we'll be back in a moment. Hey, this is Chris. And Lance. Asking you to check out our podcast, Comic Book Keepers. Each episode features one hero, villain, team, or series. Learn history behind a wide variety of comic book characters and creators. Get recommendations on what storylines to read. Uncover how characters were created. Highlight adaptations in media and answer comic fandom's what-if questions. You can find us on all major streaming platforms or on most social media at CBKCast. And remember, keep your friends close, but your comic books closer. stand between me and my destiny but i will i told you it was always between us oh i ache to smash you out of existence to drive your cursed face from my memory forever yes let this be our final battle and we're back all right so we're just getting into the nitty-gritty right now here it is the 1987 masters of the universe film the studio was the Canon Group. They are now defunct. They went out of business in 1994. The film, based on, actually, it is based on the toy line, not the cartoon. So it is based on the He-Man and the Masters of the Universe from Mattel. The uh, film was written by David O'Dell. It is directed by Gary Goddard. It stars Dolph Lundgren, Frank Langella, Chelsea Ford, John Cypher, Bill Barty, Courtney Cox, James Tolkien, Christina Pickles, and Meg Foster. And we said this earlier, but the original budget, 15 million. Turns out they spent 22 million and the film only made 17 million. So interestingly enough, the original cartoon came out 1983, but the film rights, the development rights for this film were optioned right after the toy line was released in 1981. So film took a little time to get off the ground, but technically it came first, even though we all saw the cartoon first. Um, so basically just kind of the setting is we're, we're dumped in the middle of a ongoing war 
He-Man is fighting Skeletor's forces. Skeletor is already taking hold of Castle Grayskull. Uh, we aren't on Eternia very long before we get shifted to Earth. The battle goes to Earth and then back to Eternia. Um, there are lots of things that happen in between. So let's just jump right in with some initial thoughts on this quote unquote glorious film. Thank you. I appreciate you, Jasmine. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say, I think history remembers this film wrong. And so I think when we think back in the general conversation around this film is that it came out and we went to see it and it wasn't the He-Man we wanted to see. There was no Battle Cat, there was no Orko. It was on Earth and, and we didn't like it. And, and that's why it failed because they did this, did this really bad thing. It, and my memories of seeing it, of experiencing it for the first time and my friends and I discussing it are very, very much different. And I would say something in the, the geek for lack of a better term, culture happened for the first time in 1987 here where we became brand loyal over top of content loyal. So if you look at the culture here that we currently live in and you bring up something that is beloved as Star Wars and you say to anybody in a room, Star Wars is good or bad. You know, the, the, the prequels and the sequel trailer, are they good or bad? And people will argue to the blue in the face that they're as good as the original trilogy just because it's Star Wars or it's Star Wars so you have to like it. And J.J. Abrams, Star Trek, the same thing. Like it, like it or not, there's people that defend it simply because it's Star Trek. And so you think back to 1987 and I don't remember seeing even previews for this. I just remember my dad in the car saying, we're gonna go see a He-Man movie. My mind just exploded and we went there. <laughs> and, you know, I have a theory when it comes to films called the, the big monkey theory. Whereas that if you put a big monkey in a movie it becomes 25% more enjoyable regardless of the script because there's a big monkey and he's doing stuff. And cause you go to see that. And so I went to the movie to see He-Man do stuff. And even though it was on earth and it wasn't, you know, the story that I knew was super familiar with of battle cat and Orko and, and all the, the entrapment around it, it was still He-Man and he was still doing stuff. And at this time we had never seen a cartoon be adapted to a live action film. It was an undiscovered territory. We, we, it was the first time we ever saw that. So for my friends and I, it was just like, oh, I guess this is how it, it's gonna be. I guess that this is what He-Man would look like in, in real life. Um, and now as adults, we look back at it and say, oh, it didn't make movie. Like I didn't know about box office in 87. I didn't care about box office. I just yeah. know that I had a toy of He-Man and boom, there was a He-Man on the big screen. That's great, I love it. And, and your mind filled in the gaps, right? You didn't see Battle Cat, but that's because He-Man went to Earth. So Battle Cat was on Eternia just waiting for him to come back. You didn't see Orko <laughs> because Orko wasn't in this adventure. And so your, your, your childlike brain filled in these gaps. I think why this movie wasn't a success is because it had the aesthetic of like a teenager to young adult or adult movie. And that wasn't the audience that was going to see a Masters of the Universe movie. So I think it's just marketing felt weird. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't release a toy line to support the movie till afterwards but they didn't like say like hey check out this new he-man because a movie's coming out so i think that would have changed changed the whole whole demographic so i think that you know we remember this movie as we instantly didn't like it but in reality we as the kids who saw it did like it just not a lot of them saw it and again it had another life on tbs and hbo and and, and vhs as well that became a I think I used to have parties in high school where we'd come over and watch Masters of the Universe on VHS. Um, 
And so I think that there was also a time, and I miss it, but we are so spoiled now where we can put a movie on Netflix and then 15 minutes into it, we don't like it, we just turn off and try something else. But in 87, it was just cool because it was a movie. It didn't matter which movie it was. We got to watch a movie. And so you, you were already in. So you, you in your subconscious were trying to justify how much you love this because you pay for it already. <laughs> you have to watch it or like you decided to rent the movie. So you had to watch it. So you're trying to find things you liked. Whereas in 2020, we look for things we don't like. We dissect things, dissect things differently. And so I think that, again, we remember this movie wrong. I think it was very beloved when it came out to those who did see it. I think that's an interesting point because thinking back, we used when I was a kid, we used to go to the movie theater and look at the marquee and be like, what is playing? And what time is it? And which of these can we actually see right now? Yeah. Like we didn't, there were no trailers and that kind of like, that was not a big thing the way that it is now. Like, but I would never, I would never leave my house and go to the movie theater without knowing exactly what time and what showing I was going to be headed to. Like, I would never do that now. No. What about, what about you, Robbie? I, uh, I never saw this one in theaters, but I saw it when it was on VHS and it was something I was waiting for. I wanted to see this film so bad and I watched it. And I remember as a child, I remember liking it. And I remember thinking Skeletor looked amazing. I remember that to me, He-Man looked like He-Man, you know, mm, I was yeah. bothered by no Orko. Um, I didn't understand as a kid, why Gwildor was there. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand why we didn't see Stinkor or Trapjaw. <laughs> or, or or merman or, or why beast man was so different but even though skeletor seemed a little bit different evil n like i remember really liking it you know and the movie you know adam touched on this but the movie they didn't know how to market this film because they wanted to make a movie based on a kid's toy line and then the toy line like toy lines like sometimes they steadily decline motu like just dropped like like one series to the next and it just stopped selling so the kids were already kind of at least as far as toy buying it seemed like the interest was out but maybe that's pointed to some of the stuff that adam was discussing how you couldn't get you know the main figures the main characters um and so like i i was doing a little bit of research this week and like this film for the most part was even shown just at like like during the day because the, the, the theaters thought that it was a kid's film but during filming they were like let's make this like star wars let's age it up let's Let's actually like make it a little bit more violent. Like they did have that role that he couldn't kill people. And then towards the end of production, uh, they were like, you know what? Just let him let it be as violent as you want. Like we don't care. Um, <laughs> just finish it. Just finish it. Right. But <laughs> as troubled as a production as it was, as much as we can look back on it now and pick things apart, like like Dolph and his accent and whatnot. But like as a kid, it was He-Man. It was Skeletor. They came to Earth. I remember like I remember thinking that that was weird but at the same time like like adam said it was kind of like we just were like well this is what it would look like in the real world and maybe masters of the universe is one of those things that led me like when x-men when we first saw the x-men trailer and everybody was griping about how they weren't wearing yellow and blue i was just like bro in the real world this is what it would look like i think motu set me up for that right um in hindsight as the older i got you know it's a fun movie to pick apart make fun of and whatnot but I rather enjoy this film today when I watch it. When I watch it, I think it's way good. Because of the troubled production, uh, Canon was not known for making hits. They were known for spending lots of money, 
Oh no. no, they picked they, bottom of the barrel stuff on purpose. Yeah, well, but they, they, they reached really far. So they like, they bought the Superman franchise, right? And then they tanked it. And then they, they bought <laughs> Sylvester Stallone and they, they tanked it. You know what I'm saying? And Canon did some really interesting movies. If, if you're a horror fan in particular, they did some really cool stuff with Toby Hooper at the time. But, you know, they didn't have the, they, they didn't have the, the, they didn't have the reputation with the theaters uh, to be able to actually make this a big deal. Plus they just didn't have a marketing budget. They didn't even have a budget to finish the movie, Mm -hmm. you know? So as a kid, I loved it. And as I got older, I really love it. And the older I get, and the more I get into the Jack Kirby influence, the more I really appreciate this as the only and the greatest new gods film we've ever gotten, because that's (laughs) what it is. It's Orion against dark side coming to earth. It is Jack Kirby's fourth world. And, and Goddard even says that he modeled Skeletor on dark side and Dr. Doom and Franklin jealous still to this day, the movie is not boring. It's exciting. The special effects, I think still rather hold up. And uh, I think the movie's an age. Which ones? All of them. There's some bad, like green screeny type stuff, but like for the most part, all the optical effects that they were doing, they were, they did them on 65 millimeter. Other, the other, companies don't do didn't do that at the time they like they 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 wanted they knew that this was going to be cheap so they tried to do it as the best as they could to make it last and i really think if you watch some of these hd transfers of other films the special effects especially the optical stuff it really falters like all the the energy bolts and all that kind of stuff like look at superman 4 right and compared to this one i think this one like even when he-man's on that damn like whatever it is, what he's like, slight, you know, <laughs> flying down the street. I think oh, that hoverboard. still holds up for, for its time. This is a movie that was made with nothing. Shoestring, gum, and toothpicks, mm-hmm. and Dolph Lundgren. And they made this movie. You know you talk about the hoverboard. I remember at the time, because I used to love Back to the Future as well. And um, <clears throat> I love the fact that Back to the Future too. I had the hoverboard. And then I remember watching this in the hoverboard, and I was like... Two of my favorite franchises both have hoverboards. Like, I know that's <laughs> so not relevant to either of these films, but we I need hoverboards. Not, you like what you like. I've always wanted the hoverboards come out. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm I'm 40 in a couple of days and still no hoverboard. But <laughs> but so this film I did go and see in theaters. My dad took me and my brother. I was a huge He-Man fan. Like I used to love the toys everything the the play sets you know just everything he-man I, I was a huge he-man fan i don't remember like having i didn't really care sorry i don't remember having a real issue with the fact that when i watched it it went to earth and all these new characters i still loved it and i know like he-man's mother's from earth so i i just think i kind of accepted it as a child like that that happened that they were like that that was kind of that linkage was already there in the cartoons i know they were put together separately like they were they weren't linked in any way but i think like adam said you know as a kid you just sort of filled in the blanks i think i was like oh well human's mother's from earth so we already knew that from the cartoons that kind of thing was something canon probably lucked out on um and I, I also did have the VHS uh, cassette tape as I um, had uh, a huge VHS collection as I got older. I've got rid of uh, most of them, unfortunately, now. But um, but no, I, I absolutely love this film. Like, I, I've not watched it for quite a while, but I rewatched it this week because we were getting ready for this. But um, I used to watch it all the time, like literally as a kid, early 20s. It'd be something sometimes like me and my friends would... Um, 
like get drunk like as you do when you're early 20s and then we'd end the night putting Masters of the Universe on that that almost became like a bit of a tradition as we were getting older like so like my parents would go away normally for the whole summer and I'd sometimes like throw a couple of part house parties garden parties and when everyone most people had gone there'd be like five or six of us left and we're like oh should we put something on the TV it always come down to like Master of the Universe so it's crazy to think you know I watched that film when I was like six or seven and like even in my early 20s, like we're all putting it on in the front room and my, my parents' front room and and like my dad as well. Like he even he loved it. He took us to cinema and he loved it. I got memories of like how we'd always be talking about. So the end in the end credit sequence where Skeletal comes out of the water, which we'll talk about later. But like like me and me and my dad, like because it was pre-internet, you never knew when stuff was coming out trailers were kind of limited to tv so you just never knew when he when skeletal was coming back so it'd be like this constant conversation of when skeletal coming back like and um i just you know I just got such fond, well yeah unfortunately but um got such fond memories of this movie and and just not just like the movie just the associations of of like i guess family and um but when i rewatched it the other day like I got such goosebumps watching He-Man in his final battle. I was just like, such a good scene. You can't take that away from me. Like <laughs> when he shouts out, I've got the power. I was like, this is fucking brilliant. I was just like, this, this is it. it like, you right there. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, man. Like, I was like, goosebumps. I was like, you can't tell me this isn't good television or movie. <laughs> like cinema. It's not good. This is good cinema. Like, and um, I was texting Jasmine. Like, I was disappointed. Like, so let's hand over to Jasmine, who's going to rain on our parade. What are your thoughts, Jasmine? Uh, I'm I'm not going to go into all the details, but I feel like I missed the boat on this one because this is the kind of film that if you did not watch it in the 80s, e- even if you didn't see it in theaters, but like having seen it when you were a young and impressionable kid, it makes zero sense. So me watching it for the first time last week, it was just like, what the hell am I watching? Like, but also the fantasy genre is not a thing that I started to enjoy until I got to Lord of the Rings. So that was like the first time that I was like, oh, fantasy films. Like now when it comes to 80s action flicks, I am a connoisseur of 80s action movies. Like give me some muscled up oiled up dude with guns in a jungle fighting an alien from god knows where like yes sign me up i'm That's, down for that that, that, that was Just in this film he-man and the masters of the universe no 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 that was this film so like i just i didn't i didn't get it i didn't like i didn't like any of the prosthetics i didn't like any of the costumes i couldn't figure why we had magic users and phasers and swordsmen and lizard people like it it, it i didn't enjoy in, it you got that in star wars like you have that in star wars yeah but but i but like star wars came out in the late 70s right so like and i i get that this movie did not have anywhere near the budget that star wars had but that's also what bugged me it's like this movie came out 10 years after the first star wars and i just felt like the effects in this movie are so shitty and subpar like there, there's no reason for them to have been as bad as they were when the technology was there. Uh, so yeah, no, this, to me, this is the kind of movie, like it's a nostalgia based only. Like if, if you weren't there, it's you had to have been there. This is definitely one of those. You had to have been there to I, enjoy it. To that? Yes. Just, and this is just one guy's opinion up in Canada, <laughs> whatever that's worth. From um, Canada. <laughs> hot take. Uh, a month ago, I sat down with my 13-year-old son 
and my 10 year old daughter. And I said, do you guys want to watch the masters of the universe movie with me? And they said, sure, dad. And the next day they said, can we watch it again? That movie's incredible. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. But, okay. But I'm, I'm not 13. The 80s. <laughs> no, but I, but that's, that's what, that's exactly what I'm saying. I think watching that movie, this movie for the first time as an almost 40 year old in 2021, it does not translate it. There, there's just nothing that translates as a first time watcher. Jasmine, do you have like a, I know you have a knowledge of these characters in the world, but do you have like a love for them? For uh, now, I I like Shira. I like He Man, but the way that I played with He Man toys, so like my mom always got me whatever I wanted. She didn't care about gender toys at all. My family, on the other hand, always got me girly toys, which I hated. So when I would play with my cousins, which all of my cousins were boys for the longest time because I was the first girl. Um, I used to steal their stuff. I used to steal their Hot Wheels. I used to steal their Batman toys. I used to steal their He-Man toys. But when I would steal their He-Man toys, I would always have He-Man be rescued by Barbie. Nice. <laughs> so, like, that's that's how that's my like experience playing yeah. with the toy line was. I never I never had. I I mean I didn't know anything about the sets. Like I didn't I didn't you know the cartoon came out before I was born. So like I didn't know who Battle Cat or any of those characters were. Yeah. So like but I knew He Man and I knew Skeletor. Um, so I would, I would take those toys from my boy cousins, but they would always be the hostages that needed rescuing by the girl Barbies in, in my play world. So I, I like that. I like that. <laughs> what this movie sits in a weird place because it is made for the kids that were watching the show right? because, but, un, but at the same time, it's also made for a more adult or teenage audience. I mean, they mm -hmm. put the point of view of the teenagers from earth in there hmm. and, the weird thing is they do not do anything except for just a couple lines in the beginning talking about good versus evil. Like there is no setup nope. to like what's going on, who these people are. Nope. Why is Skeletor trying to like, you just, it's so just, it would seem generic if you didn't have the idea. And the coolest thing is, and I've been talking about this a lot because I didn't necessarily like the new cartoon or whatever as much as some other people did. But like the whole point being, I've been told a lot, well, you know, the original show, Robbie, wasn't really that good. It was just made to sell toys. Well, yeah, I know that. And what was beautiful is that it did have all this stuff. It had lizard snake men. Mm -hmm. It had fantasy and, and, and like Conan the Barbarian type stuff. It had right. sci-fi elements to it. It was like taking everything that young boys in the 80s liked and just threw it all together mm -hmm. and then see what would, what would work, right? So the movie is all over the place. It doesn't go out of its way to explain necessarily that like what exactly has come before it is kind of like revelation a continuation of that original series you're like yeah i remember being a kid but like you mean skeletor just took gray skull <laughs> <laughs> what and then yeah. i also thought gray skull looked amazing i'm really pissed we never got a play set of that gray skull because that gray oh, skull yeah. is wild the mad the time, that was the biggest set that they built in 40 years because they knocked down the adjoining soundstage wall to expand their eternia set so it was it was a massive, massive undertaking to get Grayskull. Yeah. Didn't you? Didn't you feel with um, Master the Revel um, Master the Universe Revelations? Though, although I know he said it was a, uh, a it was a continuation of the '80s cartoon, didn't you feel that was very influenced by this movie? Like even some of the scenes, it looked like the Castle Grayskull uh from the movie and um, and also when he became that Skelly God thing at the end of Revelations. 
like the whole headpiece was very similar to the movie I felt. So I, I noticed that on this watch for sure. I did. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to get into revelations too much because again, I want to talk about positive things. Yeah, yeah. But I will say that there was not an original idea in that whole series. Kevin Smith took stuff from here and there and everywhere and just kind of put it all together. And so he borrowed a lot. He even borrowed the line, like, let this be our final battle from this movie. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, that, that as well. I was like, this so, it was so influenced by the movie, I thought. Yeah. Which and, says a lot about this movie. Which says a lot about this movie, though, this like, movie. I think. So. And he took a lot of ideas from the comic books and the DC comics and, and a number of things. So he just kind of, it was a bit of a mixing pot for it all. Mm -hmm. uh, and that being said, though, like, the part I loved... The only part that really got me pumped up with Revelation, there was two parts I got pumped up about. One was, let this be our final battle, because I said, that's from the movie. And I was like, that guy. <laughs> and then at the end, when He-Man lifted aloft his sword and said, by the power of Grayskull, I got excited. And then the other thing happened, and I immediately got sad. <laughs> but uh, we didn't get the moment we got in the movie. Right? In the movie, when I cheered right. When he lifted his sword and, and had the moment, yeah, that was like it, the bad special effects before that, and and the fight scene that came after it, and and all the nonsense didn't matter because we got that moment. And as a kid, we saw in real life our hero doing his hero thing because yeah. he's an aspirational hero, and that's what He Man was. And you know, you can go and say like we didn't understand, you know, why Skeletor was evil and his motivations. We didn't really understand the motivations of Darth Vader when we saw Star Wars. We just knew that the guy in the black suit was the bad guy and he was going to blow up the planet for reasons. And because there's a Rebel Alliance, we're not sure why the Rebel Alliance exists. We just, we just bought into it. And mm -hmm. so I think, you know, that's okay because you see a guy with a skull for a head trying to capture a little person making a key. He's bad. That's all I need to know is a key. Even I don't know going in. I'm like, well, that's, he's clearly the skull guy is the bad guy. And the guy with the blonde hair is the good guy. We can get into, we, we can see that there's a very easy, easy um, thing for kids to understand. One is a demon and one is an aspirational character. Um, so yeah, I think, I think when you look at this movie and, and we've been trained over the last 15 years to just take apart media, whether it's TV shows or movies mm. or comics or video games to really dissect it down to blueprint and say, okay, why don't we like this or why do we like this as opposed to just going in and saying that was a fun ride i had i had a, I had a good time end of statement right and you know i'm as guilty as anybody else you take things and you just take it apart you take it apart you take it apart and uh, i think that's what this movie is all i'm saying is i don't think that you can feel that way as a newcomer as a first time watcher in 2021 it it no it doesn't fly like I'm, I'm above the age threshold for that to make sense. Now, again, there are plenty of movies that I loved as a kid that are awful, horrible, terrible films, and I still love them to this day. So I think that the nostalgia value here is extremely, extremely high. Oh, you know, before, before, I was going to say, before we move on to uh, the next thing we're going to talk about in this review, you know, Adam, you said a minute ago something I've actually been really thinking about. Maybe it's my bloody age. Like, like but, but no, like, you know... Um, I've been talking about this with my daughter, who's 11. Um, so you know how you said, like, when in the 80s you put a film on, you watch it, the, the, the choice was very limited. And I've been thinking about this a lot recently in terms of music. I never really 
I've got to put my hands up. Music is probably the one area of pop culture that I'm I'm always behind on. Yeah. And and like I I'm I'm a lot more up to date with movies, television, you know, comics, um, video games, so so. Um, but like that again is an area of mine that I'm a bit weaker on. Um, but music I'm always behind on, and because I think one there's probably people that love music will kill me for saying this there's too much of it like and it's just so easily accessible you know you can have your spotify apple music whatever and but i actually loved just having five or ten tapes put them on flip them over you know you and sometimes when you're walking around up with a walkman you probably only carry like one or two tapes because you were kind of limited but it made you literally know word by word every song in those albums like and and that probably was like these films like you wouldn't have endless amounts of movies on your shelf because you know VHS tapes were were chunky things to take up. So mm-hmm. you'd have you you know you as a family, yeah, okay, you might have a you know, sometimes you'd have a cabinet full of full of tapes, but again, that might be a hundred movies. Um, and I remember even as a kid, we had Sky Television, which is sixteen channels. We had one movie channel, and so that again, I just kind of wanted to link with you know the whole. You put it on and you enjoy it. I don't think I was, I don't think my enjoyment was forced with Master of the Universe, but I I know putting it on, there wasn't, it wasn't like you said, you can flick it off in 20 minutes or 15 minutes and go and put something else on. Um, but I do think there's something to be said for almost having the lack of options. So yeah. I, I, I have been, I've got to put my hand up. I've been really thinking about getting a record player and a tape player again. Um, I'm not saying, I'm not anti-streaming of music. I just would like to just put, the same couple of albums on and kind of just get used to them again so so but this this film to me it's the same thing like the way that i feel about the original mortal kombat film right mortal kombat to me has a ridiculously special place in my heart because it was how my cousins and i bonded we we played this game to the point where we had bruised fingers we like messed up several cartridges you know like so seeing that movie that movie will always be a perfect 10 to me now to to anyone else of course not like and if i had watched the original mortal kombat nowadays i'd be like this is freaking who made this movie like why did this movie ever get made but that's the thing like i don't i don't think that people should always separate like we shouldn't always be looking at things like you said from like a critical eye like we shouldn't always have to dissect it you should be able to say as a mortal kombat fan freaking love this movie period like that's just how this goes as a he-man fan i collected the he-man action figures i love this movie period like i know it's ridiculous and i know it doesn't make any sense but i don't care i love it and that this is to me this is like the epitome of that 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 mindset is i know it's bad i know this could have been done but i love it like i love it anyway it's fine yeah all right so technology mike so to me this one was again all over the place we got People that use magic and we got, I don't think I've ever seen anything where we had magic and phasers. I mean, I guess Star Wars counts because they have the force, but I just thought it was very bizarre. So as, as you're watching this film, like when you were a kid versus now, did your preference change? Like, were you, yeah, I would love to be able to have magic or yeah, I would rather have the phasers. Cause if I, if I was a kid, like I want to be running around with the sword, like that's what I would want to be doing. I wanted the cosmic key. Like, uh, <laughs> to do what with I it want, so like it's a japanese uh, synthesizer i wanted the cosmic key 
<laughs> I, I just loved it. I loved that cosmic key. Just, just the button, like the button pressing. I guess the whole film was kind of centered around the cosmic key. I loved the, but the hoverboards as well. I loved as well. I think they were probably some of my favorite, two of my favorite things from the movie in terms of technology. It didn't really bother me that there was a mixture of technology and magic all rolled into one. I'm, I, I think more movies should embrace having machinery and magic all together. I mean, visionaries did it. Like, why not? Like, nice pull there man i like uh, that uh, i mean you know it was a time of magic and sorcery or whatever i can't remember i can't remember come on what are the words like it was a time of oh i've forgotten even, it even if you think it's something very like contemporary you know thor says you call it science we call it magic it's one and the same yeah yeah right. so it, it, thor does that they have these swords and hammer fighting but also lasers and these bifrost and they, they, it kind of exists in, in both worlds and, and something I, when i'm on the movies films and flicks podcast i i always say going in i'll believe whatever your rules are mm-hmm. just tell me your rules give me yes. the, rules of the story and then i'm in and as long as you follow your own rules i'm happy and this movie followed the rules that were set up by the toy line and the tv show because in the, in the first toy line yes he-man had a sword but Zodak had a laser gun. So mm. we, we were there. We had magic. We had sorcery. We had a sorcerer. And so that's just what it was. And so to me, it wasn't like I performed one or the other. They can, they can both exist. The thing, the, the one thing that eight-year-old Adam did not jive with in the movie, the entire movie, I hated that He-Man had a pistol on his, on his belt. <laughs> The man has a sword, a shield, and an axe. He does not have a gun. He can ride a ship with a gun, but He-Man doesn't have a gun. So that that bothered me. But other than that, perfect movie. One thing I didn't think aged well, um, like, yeah, it didn't age well, but I, at the time, I accepted it, but was when Man at Arms got out his little kind of little radar tracker thing, and you kind of see this little dot on a screen. When I watched it the other day, I was like, no, that didn't, that didn't age well, but like... <laughs> But the rest of the technology, I felt, actually did really well. So, you know, like the flying platforms that Skeletor has, um, I thought they did really well, even that, that the, the budget they had back then, they did really well in terms of making that work. There's at no point did I think that looked rubbish. Like, I thought that looked yep. really, really well put together. And, and actually, you can't see how they raised it. I'm sure it was some sort of tractor or something was underneath it, lifting it up in the air or, or something <laughs> Um, I thought that the vehicle that Skeletor was riding on looked suspiciously like the logo for Umbrella Corporation. I mean, I'm just saying, like, going back <laughs> and looking at that, I was like, oh, is this where Resident Evil got its, like, got its mojo from? Could be. Could be. Could be. What, about, what about you, Robbie? Did, what like, do you enjoy from this movie, technology-wise, or magic? Well, I like, I like, I want both. I, I like lasers and I like swords and sorcery. And that's why I like masters of the universe is because they blend those two. My favorite character, my favorite fictional character of all time. One of them is Dr. Doom who mm-hmm. blends the demons of science and sorcery together. You know, like a lot of times we forgot that Dr. Doom was a sorcerer as well as this technological master, um, Darth Vader, kind of the same way you mentioned that where he's using the force. That's, that's very much like magic with the K type stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, he's like this cyborg. Right. So I, I love the blending. I love seeing things like 
the MCU blending stuff more and you see it in other fiction uh, now. So I, I like that. I like genre bending though. I like, like, like Western vampire movies. And I like, so I definitely love the Cowboys and aliens. Well, that one, not the movie, (laughs) but the the concept, you know, sounds really great, but like, I love it when that stuff kind of gets blended together because to me, swords and sorcery, that's boring. I've seen Conan, you Mm -hmm. know, and if it's just star Wars, you know, I've seen star Wars. So this was kind of like something different and new. And yeah, the movie is, I mean, I'm not going to kid myself at all. This is not a good movie, but I love this movie. <laughs> I, I've said that to Jasmine like about loads of things. Like, oh, yeah. you can know when you're watching something that it's not good. Right. But and love it love anyway. It. Yeah. I like, love it anyway. Like, there's a TV series that came out years ago. Like, like we won't talk about it, but Falling Skies. I watched all of it. And it's incredibly yeah. terrible. It's a terrible, terrible TV series. But I loved it and watched every single episode, even though every season got worse. Um, and like, I admit, when you watch Master of the Universe, there's a lot of problems, but I still love this movie. Like, I mean, when we summarize, Jasmine probably will not like what I have to say in terms of how good this is. <laughs> like, Listen, like, I get it. I get it. Like, I have very irrational loves, too. It's totally fine. Uh, all right. So with, with setting, wardrobe and, like, the backdrops were kind of uh, big to me. I think that was one of the things that I had the hardest time getting into the first time we get that close up of Skeletor and it is so obvious that it's a rubber mask. I was like, Oh God, is this not, not as a kid? Is, it wasn't. Is this the pace <laughs> of, of this film? Like, so you have to get your expectations like right at the very beginning. So I think there were a lot of things like, you know, beast man and hit, like I actually saw some behind the scenes, but like beast man's teeth were too big for his, mouth and because of that he could not close his mouth all the way and he got drool all inside his costume which (laughs) made everything really messy uh so like just some of the detailing uh, and i guess that's the problem when you're watching stuff that was never meant to be in hd in hd and you see all of the flaws of how horrible some of the makeup was so that was that bugged me i thought that the only like perfect character in this whole movie was evelyn like her makeup was perfect. She never had any lipstick out of place. All of her mascara was where <laughs> it was supposed to be. Like she looked great, even though she was extremely uncomfortable. It's because she had those eyes, yeah. right? Yeah. Like like those piercing, almost <laughs> Jesus-like eyes. It's and crazy. those are her real eyes. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I just, I could I can forgive the setting. Like I get it. I get that. You know, it we're, we have to pretend we have that you have to. There is a suspension of belief, like we all said. I have never really liked the prosthetics that they use in that time period. So, Gildor, I didn't really like Gildor and Beastman and Car- like any of the people that actually had all of the full like body costume or body makeup. I did not enjoy any of that stuff. None of the prosthetics I liked. Um, but as far as like wardrobe itself, I did like the way that they kind of updated the costumes from the cartoon like man at arms didn't look like juggernaut with that big like helmet that he had in the cartoons and uh tila was wearing pants yes go pants i love women in pants Uh, um so like it just some things were updated and then other things it was just kind of like i don't i don't know what we were going for here like the skeletor mask was just like seriously guys seriously okay yeah i love that skeletor mask man like i i freaking love okay so I, y'all know this, y'all know me. 
Jasmine and Mark, y'all at least know me. Like I'm a big <laughs> horror movie fan. Yeah. And one of my favorite things is horror movie makeup. Now, Tom Savini is a master of his art, but in the first Friday the 13th, if you watch that on Blu-ray, it's disappointing. Of course. So first of all, if you watch Masters of the Universe on a VHS, on an old school TV, Skeletor looks way more convincing. Well, of course, because yeah. it's all fuzzy. <laughs> right? Well, but, but you know, when you watch it now, you can see that he's obviously breathing and you can see the yeah. nose kind of going in and out, things like that. Yeah. That's just fun little tidbits for me. Yeah. But when I was a kid and like, I loved that stuff. I read books about Jack Pierce and how he created the Frankenstein monster makeup and shit like that. So like seeing that Skeletor makeup, that still holds up so freaking well to me for what it was doing at the time, especially when you consider its budget, right? Mm -hmm. The costumes I think are amazing. I like how they updated them. I think that men at arms and Tila, their costumes got a little bit more drab because they kind of yes. colored them just like grayish kind of yeah. color or whatnot. They look like, uh, what do you call the starship troopers to me? Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they, they kind of did. And, but like He-Man looked awesome and yeah. they gave him a cape and I never thought like, wow, he-Man looks pretty freaking badass with the cape. Skeletor's whole garb, Evil N. And I love the villains. I love the way they look. Well, Blade, not so much. He's a little weird. He looks like the guy that got kicked out of uh, the village people early on. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but like, I think the practical effects are amazing. I will always choose lesser practical effects over really you know, like bad cg works i mean doesn't work yeah. but you know the optical effects i think were absolutely amazing in this film i think the costumes are brilliant and i think the makeup is great because frank langella is able to really emote and act through that makeup and i even remember many times buying the kit where you glue each individual piece of the skull face uh -huh. and trying to do like that skeletor thing freaking amazing i just love it <laughs> i will i will concede to you that Karg's mask and Gwildar's, Gwildar's mask leave something to be desired in when they're talking and their mouths don't. Like it's, it's a little bit like that scene from The Rocketeer where he's like, where is the rocket? And that guy's got that rubber mask on. <sighs> but you, you forgive that. If today Warner came to me and said, Adam, you're in charge of the new Masters of the Universe movie. You're gonna direct it. You have final say. What's your first decision? My get first decision back. would be get Frank Langella back. Yeah, and <laughs> Put some air holes in the nose so it doesn't flare out. But you're never going to get a better looking Skeletor than that mask, at least as the base. Because if you look at, like, so again, we look at what we see and we say, wow, that doesn't look like a skull. But I feel like if they would have put a skull mask on him mm -hmm. and put a hood over it, we'd be saying like, this looks like a Halloween decoration. Yeah. I right? think that, what they what they did there because in a toy in a cartoon you can have a talking skull in 87 you can't have a talking skull on a live actor you can't do it nice. so i think what they did was what's the best of both worlds and kind of give a human face the skull aesthetic so like robbie was saying he's able to act he's not just a master looking at he's able to emote and and, and you believe that he wants to just kill he-man so i think oh. the mask is brilliant I think mean, there's a lot to be said, though, for using more like um, actual prosthetics rather than mm -hmm. I know I know everyone bags on the, the prequel um, Star Wars trilogy where it was like way too much CGI. But I think sometimes way too much CGI can actually ruin the character's appearance and, and the acting of the character. And <clears throat> I love 
Skeletor, Skeletor, this, in, in this movie, Skeletor is absolutely brilliant to me. It's, I, I love his entire look. And yes, it does help that the actor really put his all into it and mm. embrace that costume. But Skeletor, like his visuals, I just, I love. And I mean, t- to be honest with you, I love the whole feel and setting of this this movie i i i don't care that they ripped from star wars like you know i i I think it really suited the tone of the movie they were going for and actually rather than making it aimed at children like i love the fact that they pitched this at an old age like so i i you know again going to england uh, england sorry going to earth maybe (laughs) i'm in england um going to earth like I mean, I accepted it. I still would love a complete film on Eternia, maybe one day. Um, but I hadn't really thought about it as well. You know, the cast of Grayskull outside um, exterior, literally like how that was a drawing. Like, I never really thought about that too much as a kid. But clearly on the budget, they must have cost them, I don't know, 200 quid or something to get someone to put that together. Uh, so, um, but I, again, I love... I love what you do see in Eternia, though. Like, I was really into it, and I loved how they found Gweldor's little hideaway in the little thing, you know, little door and... The little um, Hobbit house. Yeah, the little Hobbit yeah. house, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just, I love, I love what you do get on Eternia. I would have loved more, um, but I was happy with what we got, so... Okay, so if this movie were to be made today, yes. by today's standards, complete update, what is the minimum budget a film like this would have to have in order to be successful. I mean, it probably would need at least a hundred million to make it. No, you need at least two, at least 200 million. Nowadays it's like 200, but the problem is I don't know if the audience is there for a live action masters of the universe movie anymore. I don't know if it was ever there. Yeah. There seemed like there are more GI Joe and transfer like transformers has been cinematic printing money for some reason. And, uh, and the G.I. Joe's, they haven't ever really nailed that. I guess I would rather just have this one, right? And just love mm. it and enjoy it than be very disappointed in in a new one. Yeah, I don't think they would be able to do this right. I don't I don't know. I really don't know. Because so many, there's not a definitive He-Man. You can look at the cartoon, you can look at the original mini comics, you can look at some other ideas, you can look at the 2002 show. But they're like everybody's kind of got their own vision. Like those that grew up with He-Man kind of put a lot of their own ideas into it so it's gonna this is definitely a franchise it's hard to please everybody but that's just every franchise nowadays it seems so well yeah i think that is the trouble though that fanboys do jump on stuff and i know jasmine made a joke going about the revelations she made a joke the other day that she loves it more and more the more people keep keep moaning about it <laughs> so, um but i i i have to do i i do have to agree like sometimes you'll watch something and i'll hear other people moan about it i'm like i don't care like i love it like yeah. and that's with this movie as well like i don't care like i i love it it's one of one of my favorite movies so um i think you yeah. could make this movie 60 million dollars today 60 million dollars you can who make is the director? this one you can make this one where they go to no, Earth, but we're not what that. <laughs> hear me out. Hear me out here. I think you can make a good He-Man and the Masters of the Universe movie for $60 million. You just have to make it like you're making a sword and sorcery epic in the 80s. So if He-Man didn't go to Earth, I think Eternity would have looked a lot like um, the world that the Beastmaster lived in. Yeah. So a lot of jungle, a lot of forest, a lot of desert. That kind of that kind of aesthetic, which you can shoot on on 
real sets. Like you don't need to green screen that. And you can put a couple, you know, uh, you know, matte paintings in. Like you think to Conan the Barbarian when that movie came out, they used real sets, they used matte paintings, they built temples, and, and it looked great. Like I think, you know, that movie ages Conan the Barbarian ages very, very well because it it lived in that real kind of lived in world. And so I think you could you could do that if you had the right scope, you could do a, a well received, great looking movie that doesn't have to age. So if you watch, for example, The Beastmaster, I love The Beastmaster as much as I love this movie. That movie doesn't age because it's filmed out of time and there's no special effects in it that aren't practical that, that don't really work. So even if it's the big hawk guys that you know the bird um, communicates with or the, the eye ring or all the stuff in The Beastmaster that kind of works and he's even got a pet tiger for you know lack of, lack of a better term. Um, I think you could do a real earnest budget-friendly grassroots version of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe um, and do it for $60 million. I, I think you could, you could do that, no problem. Let's do it. How do you feel about <laughs> the original, the first Pitch Black? Yeah, that was probably done on hardly anything. Yeah. Okay, so 20 years ago, that was a $23 million budget, which in today's terms would probably be a $60 million budget. The yeah. only way you could make a He-Man movie for $60 million today is you have to hire nobodies, Perfect. nobodies, no, you, there's no named actor that would be able to fit into a $60 million budget on top of effects. And yeah, you'd do, probably have a, to still film it in Australia. Like they did with pitch black. Well, they do a lot of that anyway. Like when they do big franchises, like, like Daisy Ridley and the new Star Wars, she was an unknown. Like, and you know, like that was because they probably paid up, paid her hardly anything. I imagine in the beginning, she probably made money more off the back end from other roles. And well, Chris maybe there was Thor wasn't really a household name. Well, yeah, no, they took a gamble on him too. Yeah. So, um, one of the things, like in terms of setting, though, one of the things I did love was um, when uh, He Man, uh, Man at Arms, and Teela land, and um, they all split off into their sectors. But then He Man, Teela, and Gwildor all meet up. And they nick a bucket of essentially KFC out the back of the car from uh, <laughs> probably like Judy's work or whatever. And oh, that's uh, Robbie's all... rib and chicken. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, Robbie's yeah, ribs yeah, yeah. and chicken. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is that yours? <laughs> well, that's the name of the restaurant. I'm just no, 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 no. <laughs> um, but I love when they're eating the meat and they're like, yeah, yeah, well, he's dripping all over Gordon's face. But no, I love it when they're eating the meat. And Tila's like, why? I wonder how they get the little bones on the sticks. Now that made me think, like when they were questioning it, and she's like, "Oh, they eat eat animals." I thought, "Well, what the hell do they eat back on Eternia? Are they all vegetarians? Like, you know, they is it a planet of veggies over there? Like, other than other than man at arms who's down for eating a deer? Or well, something. when your animals talk to you, Mark, you don't want to eat them. Yeah. Oh, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe that maybe that's the problem. Maybe because they talk. <laughs> but I want to say also on Eternia, your plants talk to you as well because there's like plant guys that they. Yeah. So what's, they, what's just they, they just eat magic. They just eat magic. Maybe like they just a, a constant stream of magic. Maybe they just eat soup. That's all they eat over there. Because that's not like you know, it's manna uh, from heaven. That's what they do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So as far as characters go, we got the OGs. We got some new faces, and then there were some characters that were missing. Now earlier, Robbie, you said you really did miss not having Battle Cat, not having Orko. So between the OGs and the new faces. Who do you think showed up better in this film? Well, the reason that we got new bad guys in this movie was because Mattel had a golden rule, 
which again, I'm not going to say any comparisons to Revelation, but I will say their golden rule was you can't kill any toys. No kid can go to the movie and watch one of their action figures die. So they had to make new figures or new characters so they have somebody to kill. Right? Saurad was created just so he could die. Mm -hmm. So he took the place of Trapjaw or somebody that, that we knew. So, um, you know, I, I, I remember watching it being like, who are these new characters? And, but again, I'm in the world. So, okay, if you're telling me, because it was always the off screen mentality in your mind. So, you know, you didn't see Battle Cat, didn't see Orko, didn't see, you know, Mechanek. You figure, well, they must be off doing something else. So they're here, they're just off screen. Yeah. And then you saw Karg and Saurod, and you're like, okay, and Blade. And you're like, well, these guys just must be off screen in the cartoon somewhere. Like they're there, they're just off, off screen. So you, they're on another mission. Yeah, they're doing something else. And um, I actually, to, to disagree with Robbie respectfully, I, I love Blade. I thought he was awesome. I thought, you know, the idea of two swords and he's like flipping them around and he's got blades that look like the flash on his head. I'm in because it's such a wild ride of like, here's, here's what people dress like in Eternia. I'm like, yeah. I really loved his chainmail skirt. I'm not going to lie. I thought that was fancy <laughs> as hell. I really did. I, think, I just I remember like, the moment where he goes, he goes up to He-Man. He's like, I've been waiting for this for a long time. I'm like, I don't, he doesn't even know who you are. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know I did love that bit like he's probably like you say like He-Man's got no idea who you are <laughs> um I I um uh I I I think I agree with what you're saying Adam though about filling the things in because the sort of gaps in your mind because um when when uh you see He-Man um save Gwildor at the beginning and they're talking about how the palace has been overrun and uh grass girl has been overrun and you get this kind of picture in your mind that actually all of their friends have either been captured or displaced and that kind of sets a, a feel in your mind that actually maybe battle cat maybe battle cats chained up somewhere or whatever and other characters are chained up so but the three characters we're going to focus on are tita man at arms and he-man and this new guy Gwildor, you kind of get the impression that he's this new character. Well, you do, you do, because you know he, they don't know Gwildor. So, and that, and that actually was cool for me. I, I even as a kid, still remember the bit when they go into Gwildor's little um, troll cave. cave thing, yeah. <laughs> and Gwildor sort of slightly pans to the camera and goes, "I don't like adventures." Like, and uh, and I was just like. Fucking brilliant! I probably didn't swear when I was a kid, but like, and um, like, I was like, that was so brilliant! Like, it's like slightly breaks the fourth wall. There's a little nod towards the camera, and um, I think in terms of a new character, Gwildor's probably got to be my favorite. Like, I love Gwildor. Just so. and it's, a, it's a full force reference to the Hobbit, right? We're like, I don't like adventures. That's yeah. Bilbo. Yeah, that's Bilbo. Straight. Yeah, up. yeah. yeah. Bilbo, which is which is great. Also, we didn't talk about when we were talking about costumes and, and makeup and whatnot. We didn't talk about the sorceress who looked oh, yeah. much different than she did in the cartoon, but I bought it as a kid. The crystal headdress. I was she in. looked Kryptonian. It was yeah. nice. <laughs> I, I thought yeah. she looked way more like a sorceress in the film than she did in the cartoon. Like in yeah, the cartoon, cool. it seemed like you really ought to be out fighting, not just like staying up in this castle, chilling with your mana. So I've got to put my hands up though. Only rewatching this movie this week did I realize that the sorceress is actually Judy's mum and friends. Yep. Like I just, ne I never, I've watched this movie loads of times over the years since Friends Begun. I've never clocked it until this episode, until this week when I watched it. I was like, fuck, how did I, how did I not realize? Like, how did I not <laughs> like clock on? And um, and so really, you should be thanking Master of the Universe for Friends, like without without this film. 
hands down. Hands down. I, I think it goes deeper, Mark. I actually got a little fan theory here, a little fun. Okay, so they t- they are, they prove in the movie that they don't just travel in space; they travel in time too. Uh-huh. Space time is one thing. Okay, so Friends is referencing something that we should have known from this movie that Courtney Cox is actually He-Man's mother in this film, right? <laughs> and so, like, they're actually in the past. And- That's what I thought, too, actually. <laughs> like, I'm not even joking. Like, I literally, by the end of the movie, especially because when she gets sent back to Earth, she's like, no, wait, send me back. And, like, yeah, you assume, like, oh, maybe she's talking about send me back before my parents are died, before my parents die. But, like, when I was watching the credits, I was like, but what if... Yeah, what if? I think what they if? steal more from Back to the Future than just the sound of the DeLorean and the principal. Like, I think they steal the idea that He-Man went back in time and met his mother. It's, it's, it's very Terminator, if, if you ask yeah. me. Very Terminator. That was saved his own mother's right? life, yeah. Trap, well. Trap Jaw shows up and he's like, come with me if you want to live. <laughs> <laughs> but like, so Grodel is definitely my favorite of all of the characters in this movie. Like, between Evil in, Evil hands Evelyn, down. Yep. Adam, what was your favorite in this movie? So again, I hate I hate to be this guy, but I'm such a huge Dolph Lundgren fan, and I think a lot of it came from from this movie. But even watching it, I love Blade, love Gilder, love it all. Dolph Lundgren, man, for a guy who can't talk, I, I love it. I love his performance. I love him as He Man. I, I think I think if he doesn't play King Randor in whatever the next He Man movie is, that they've missed the mark completely. So <laughs> I'm, I'm a He Man fan through and through, and Dolph Lundgren to me stole the show. His thighs uh, definitely stole the show. Bruh, and who got to oil those things up? Man, oh I, could, I could have been the PA on set that day. I could have been. I'm just saying. It's somebody, you know, that just didn't want to do it. But yeah. anyway, like, <laughs> I, uh, it's, it's Frank Langella's Skeletor. He carries the movie. He carries the movie for me. Like, if you take him out of this movie, I may not be as forgiving of some of its flaws. And and also, uh, was it James Tolkien, right? The guy mm-hmm. who plays the, the he is a a a breath of fresh air at some point, because I honestly don't think that, that, you know, Courtney Cox, you know, and, and Tom Paris from Star Trek Voyager yeah, yeah, are the most that. interesting thing going on there. I, 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 and it really sidelines the movie. If you want to look at its structure, it like starts off and it's cool and it's neat. And I would prefer to see more in Eternia, but not this Eternia because they didn't have Eternia was just a wasteland. It's just a desert, yeah. you know? And so they went to Earth, and that's fine. I think later on it gets cool because, and I heard that they were they were intentionally trying to make Earth look flat and boring compared to Eternia. But then later on, Gary was kind of like, "We got to visualize, like we got to like liven this up visually." And if you notice, towards the second half of the film, all the Earth stuff looks like an '80s film. There's all kinds of great lighting going yeah. on with blues and reds and greens mm-hmm. and things like that. It looks freaking amazing. Um, but it's it's when when it gets to the human stuff on earth if it wasn't for that detective i would be so checked out because it takes so long for them to get back to skeletor yeah and when skeletor shows up and he's going down the street yes that's like probably one of the most epic moments of this damn movie and uh i saw i like that they go to earth um but to me it's it's definitely frank langella i mean he says this is one of his favorite performances and there's a reason he got to do whatever the hell, like nobody said, Frank, maybe we, that's not a good idea. Everybody was just like, whatever you say, Mr. Langella. Well, he, apparently he improvised a lot of his lines too. Yeah. And they had to rewrite a lot too. But <laughs> apparently he was not written very well and they added more because yeah. they were like, Man, we actually, he said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, they're like, we're screwed now, man. He said, yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> I, you know, I still like quote the whole um, tell me, I can't do the impression. Oh, but if, if tell uh, me about the loneliness he, of good, yeah. He Man, is it equal to the loneliness? That was an ad libbed line. Like, but it is, it's such a brilliant line. And, um, and I, like, even earlier when I was just walking around the house, I was like, where are your friends now? Like, you know, it just, I, I, over the years, I, I'll always like quote Skeletor. He, to be honest, like, I know I do talk about Godot, but Skeletor was amazing in this film. So I'll give that to you. For, by the way, before we jump on, we talked about characters that were not in it. Like, is anyone that you, I know, say, CGI held back a lot of characters, but if, if CGI wasn't an issue, is there any character that you would love to have been in this film mechanic because that dude was so weird like that whole concept to me was so weird in the cartoon <laughs> like i would have loved to have seen what they would have done with a live action mechanic that would look weird yes very. <laughs> <laughs> imagine if it was done on the budget they had now yes well, that's, that's exactly then, what i'm saying then. like but, yeah. yes please find a way to fit in a low to no budget mechanic It'd be like that um, Fantastic Four film that, that oh. never got released. The Roger the Corman one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's still the best looking Dr. Doom we've ever gotten. But uh... still the best Fantastic Four movie we've ever gotten. <laughs> yeah. Maybe when you're drunk. I, I think <laughs> that um, even on their budget, they could have pulled it off. And even if he was just, like I said, captured the castle or helped the beginning, helped the end, wasn't a major character. But I always thought Stratos should have been in that movie. He he could have been he could have been dynamite. He could have had cool wings. That, I don't know. Stratos to me is just like a, one of the coolest. Um, the coolest. Uh, he know. would have been a really cool bridge of the technology. Like if they had if they had had a character like that in there, someone yeah. that can fly around above the battlefield. That would have been cool too. I will what? say that first of all, I'm glad they didn't do Battle Cat. Because I can't even imagine what they would have tried. It would have been if awful. They, if, you know, I can't even imagine what they would have tried. They just but, would have like put color over the MGM lion. That's yeah, it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, looking at, you know, there's a lot of characters that I love that I would have loved to have seen in this film. But the one I would really have liked to have seen was, was Manny Faces. He was just an interesting character, a super cool toy. And once again, I'm probably fortunate. We're probably fortunate they didn't do it because what, how would they have done that? But uh Many Faces is a, is a real fun one that I really, really like. And, and I just as a location, I wish we would have gotten a scene. I know they had concepts for this, but and they mentioned it in the film, but I would have loved to have seen Snake Mountain. Like, yeah. that would have been really yeah, cool. That would have been awesome. Oh, yeah. And now, what would this movie have looked like if it had had just double the budget, if it had had a $40 million budget? But can you imagine the payoff for us as kids if when He-Man is being whipped by the laser whip, which is the coolest weapon in the movie, and in, in the background, you see a green tiger in a cage, like captured. Oh, man. Are they going to paint a tiger? Like, <laughs> they would have done that. <laughs> Imagine if that's what they'd done, painted a tiger. Like, that would have been go back to my other movie, The Beastmaster, they needed a panther, but the panther wasn't able to do the work that the tiger was. They just painted a tiger black. Well, I'll tell you this. If, if you want to see a Motu film, Made for the the sixty million dollar budget. Get Don Coscarelli on board. Maybe you could pull it off. Maybe I'm saying that's the way to do it. And I know that no one's going to give me sixty million to make it. <laughs> I could do it. Get on Kickstarter now. Get on it'll Kickstarter. Co it'll so. cost you more than that for the licensing, probably. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. I doubt Mattel is going to just like hand that over really easily. Well, I was going to say I agree with you though. I, I would like to have seen Battle Cat somewhere, not going to Earth. Because that would have been silly. 
Um, but I think the one character I'm glad that wasn't in this, only because of the tone of the film, was Orca. I don't think Orca would have suited this tone of film. I think it would have, you know, made it silly. <laughs> so, Sillier. Uh, oh, yeah. All so. right. So overall, like stunt work, dialogue, everything as, as a whole package, like how, how does this stack up? At the time, not not in, by today's standards, but by 1987 standards. I think in 1987 standards, the action's great. I think that the costumes do their job. I think going to Earth separates this from other sword and sorcery movies. So the reason this doesn't look like Conan is because they do go to Earth, so it does look different. So I think that even though we say like, nice to have it on Eternia, it's the kind of thing where it left you wanting more, which isn't a bad thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I think... Um, this this movie, I'm going to say this as a bold statement, is the best Motu movie we could have gotten in 87. Mm. Okay. Well, you go, you go, you go, Robbie. I, uh, I, I'll disagree with that. It, it, the problem is, is that we had, you know, I don't know if we mentioned it, but they, so Canon got the rights, the license, and they came up with a deal because they, they were bleeding money. They came up with a deal that Mattel would pay half and they would pay half. And just so happened Mattel paid the first half and then Canon straight up was like, nope, we ain't got no money. <laughs> and so Mattel eventually put up more money and we know the troubled ending and, and this and that. So I think that there is a better movie to be made in the time in another, in another world. Maybe one day we'll get the cosmic key. We'll figure out the right <laughs> notes and it's going to be really funny because it's going to be the inversion of close encounters of the third kind or something, right? <laughs> but we'll go to the world in which they actually... A studio fully got behind this movie in 1987. I think there's like 1987 gave us some really banger films, right? And we're talking about an age in which we've already had the Star Wars trilogy. Mm-hmm. We've already had Beastmaster, right? If we want to, you know, call that out. And I love Beastmaster too. The new Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray set is freaking amazing. Um, but if you want to talk had, about technology, we already had Terminator. Yeah, and we've had Back to the Future. Like yeah. we, we, we. This movie, if if it would have had some force behind it, but the problem to me was that there was no force because Motu was already on its way out. Yeah, like it was already kind of done, and so and it's canon. And anybody that knows film history in the '80s and you know canon, we can really. There's a lot in canon that I love. I love Cyborg, right? For instance, right? <laughs> but like for the sequel to this movie. Yeah. exactly right yeah, but so yeah. like that's what that's why i like bring that up but like that's the reason why i even watched cyborg when i heard about that i was like well now i actually have to watch cyborg uh, and then i actually liked it uh, for all of its ridiculousness um so this this movie and remember canon was going to make a spider-man movie after motu too and i'm really glad that we didn't get that because Me i don't too. think it's not canon it wasn't mattel what makes this movie work is gary goddard and his love of jack kirby and trying to bring that vibe into it. And, and Franklin Jella and a few other performances, Meg Foster, um, the principal from Back to the Future, and even Dolph Lundgren being able to like carry physically the role mm-hmm. of He-Man, even though He-Man is a side character in this movie. It's not necessarily about him, but as a kid, who cares? Because when he pulls that sword out of that throne and yep. does the whole bit, pff. yeah. So, yeah, overall, I think it's strong. Some things could be better. It could have had more love, more attention, more faith put behind it, Um, but it didn't. And and I think for all the circumstances thrown in, yeah, there's there's no way we're going to ever get a better movie than this. 
And so I'm very thankful for it, I guess. Well, they actually, there was no second unit for this film, which for anyone who doesn't know, listening, the second unit is the unit that's responsible for all of your action sequences. So second units have their own directors, they have their own producers, they have their own staff. And Gary Goddard had to do all of that himself. So not only was he worried about the actors and all of the money and all of those things, but he was also worried about all of the things that a a first director should never, ever, ever have to deal with. So if even if this movie had had the budget behind the scenes for like a second director, a second unit to come in and worry about that stuff, we could have had a completely different film. Yeah. I, I, so in terms of the whole package, the dialogue, <laughs> dialogue, um, the dialogue, I think, is obviously the strongest throughout the movie. However, I think like we've talked about, Skeletal's lines are just amazing with everything he, he does. Like there's just so many moments that are so quotable. Like, you know, I even the beginning, Evil Lynn, when she goes, it'll be ours. And he's like, that just that moment of tension. He's like, not mine. Like, you know, <laughs> um, I, 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 I love so much about this film. I know, like you say, compared to 1987, does it age? Well, no, not really. But I still think it's one of my favorite ever movies. In terms of favorite scenes, but I, I, you know, we talked about this a few times when he grabs that sword and shouts out, I have the power. Honestly, that's just for me, it's just, just what we've been waiting for throughout this film. Like, been waiting for that sort of moment. And I, I love the build up. I love that we didn't get that like throughout, that it, we just had it just before the end when we had the final battle between him and Skeletor. And I know Skeletor does say, let me do this final battle. But I, I think that moment was just so good for me as a kid. But even now as an adult watching it, I'm just like, that's such a good good moment in a film. <laughs> um, obviously, budget for me, I would love more money to have been chucked at this. Um, so I know when the original script they weren't going to have as much time on earth and then budgetary reasons. And it's weird that I didn't, I didn't know that growing up. And like as friends, we used to joke about it saying it's like they run out of money. So we were like, they're just going to go to earth. So I'd love to know if that was always part and parcel of the plan or was it like when they're working out the budget, like, yeah, yeah, we can spend X amount of money for the first 20 minutes, but then like we've got to do something else with them. But I don't know, like for me, yeah, the budget was, an issue back then but i i don't care really that they went to earth i, I it was a he-man film so i i loved it overall so the, the two things i would if i had a magic wand to change is in the end when the, they're the two kids are deciding to go home i would have opened that scene with he-man being looking right at the camera and being like now kids in today's adventure oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like a little, little morality lesson at the oh, end. Like the old cartoons, yeah, yeah. Just having oh. like a, like a almost wink at the camera, like a Kurt Swan wink. I thought that would have been great. Um, but also, I'm I'm often on the the movies, films, and flicks podcast with Mark Hoffmeyer, and uh, so he writes Rotten Tomatoes and he does um, crazy movie data. So when he heard I was coming on here to talk about this movie, he sent me all of his Dolph Lundgren stats, all of his stats, and so of Dolph Lundgren sixty five movies he's made only 16 have a rotten tomato <laughs> score which is a neat statement but of the movies that he's in that have a rotten tomato score movies where he does a standing front kick on average have a 44 percent better rotten tomato score 
So I think if Dolph Lundgren would have front kicked Skeletor into the pit at the end, this movie would have actually cleared its budget. And we would have got a, got a sequel. Do this, you this- know that Dolph Lundgren petitioned Gary Goddard to change He-Man's outfit so that He-Man wore modified kickboxer boots instead of his He-Man boots because Dolph said that he felt far more comfortable in kickboxer boots than he did in the actual costume stuff. And Gary Goddard was like, no. <laughs> no, we're, not we're, we're not doing that no we could have saved the movie we could have yeah we could have had the front face like who doesn't love to see people get kicked in the face i love seeing people get kicked in the face like that would have been amazing Watch the numbers that's the move to make anyway you guys have made a, a nice transition into the end <laughs> of the film there so the end credit sequence i've talked about before when skeletor comes out of the water lie and says i'll be back what, what are you guys thoughts on all of that like Come on, Adam. As a kid, yeah. Um, an after credit scene, we had never heard of it. Oh no, I know. Like so when that. I saw it in the theater on a Saturday afternoon, the credits started rolling, and, and all I got wanted, up and left. I want to go home and play He Man. So on Monday at school, my friend Joffrey Saracen said, "Did you stay to the end and see the credits?" And I was like, "Shut up! What are you talking about?" And he goes, "Skeletor is still alive." And I was like, "Shut up! You're lying." And so there was this debate. And we argued about it in the, in the schoolyard until the VHS came out. And then we watched that and I was like, oh man. And so that to me at eight years old was a promise. You will be getting more Masters of the Universe <laughs> coming. And so for the next two or three years, we just waited and waited and waited. And I remember going to like summer camp with my, and then you know your camp counselor, Dean is there. And we would just stay up all night as a cabin talking about like, when's the next He-Man movie coming out? <laughs> they, they have to, like they, they, they did this thing. They have to do it. And uh, they never did. No dice. Betrayed. <laughs> I didn't know there was a post-credit scene until about 10 years ago. Like, so you, honestly. You, did yeah. you always turn it off then during the titles? Yeah, that's what you did in the movies in the 80s yeah. and the 90s. Yes. You, didn't, yeah. you didn't wait in the theater until it was all said and done like I had to do today when I watched Suicide Squad. Like, you just uh-huh. didn't do that, right? So, like, I was amazed. I was like, what, really? And, yeah, so now every time I make sure to watch it. Um, but, yeah, I didn't even know for the longest time. So I never had that idea that there would be a sequel because I remember, <laughs> I remember people not liking it. Like, I remember a lot of, like, a lot of friends – being like, oh, it's on Earth and it doesn't have Battle Cat and this and that. And it's, it's kind of dumb. But we all thought Skeletor was cool. But <laughs> at the same time, yeah, I just I never I never knew it till like 10 years ago. And then I was like, you, you, you're bullshitting me. Yeah, you're full of shit. It's, this is a movie that's ahead of its time. Do you guys yeah. know when we got the very first ever post credit scene? No. It was 1966. The film was The Silencers, starred guy you might know, Dean Martin. Uh, and at the very end, it just said his character's name, which was Matt Helm. Matt Helm will return, which I lost my mind when I read that because I was like, that is exactly how every Marvel movie ends. Like, Captain America will return. Iron Man will return. So that's exactly where they got it from. They got so, it from 1966. So there's not a bit there though. Like there's not like an actual film to bit. It just says yes, he there will is. Return. It's, it's okay. sort of. I don't. I don't know what the film itself is about. But he is like laid up in a harem with a okay. bunch of scantily clad women and <laughs> sort of like smirks at the camera. And then it says Matt Helm will return. That's really cool because I would have thought it would have been like Ferris Bueller or something. You know, because I remember that was like the first one that I remember. Yeah. 
I, would, I, I was not expecting the 60s. I didn't think that any yeah. credits, post credits went that far back. So That's 1966 awesome. was the very first post credit scene. Now oh, everything no. has a post credits, man. Yes. It could be Th- just things that Oscar, don't need them. Yeah, it could be an Oscar nominated drama and it's got a post credits for some reason at the end. <laughs> yeah. I, I do. A lot of the time now I will skip to ch- check, not with every film, like, like 1917. Clearly, I didn't check there because that would be weird. Um, but I. I didn't watch it. At the, I don't remember watching it at the cinema, the end credits thing. But yeah, when the VHS came, I think by that point we'd heard about it. So we we watched the end and we're like, oh, like you and like you said, Adam, like there was this promise of a sequel, yeah. um, which never happened. And actually, let's just talk about that now. So there wasn't a sequel. So there, it was because um, Master of the Universe was a flop. And Robbie spoke earlier that, that actually it was going to be called Master of the Universe 2 Cyborg. And the premise was going to be that He-Man and Skeletor would go to Earth and it would be an apocalyptic Earth and they would have a battle on Earth and Canon were going to put it together for like 4.5 million or something like that. And they were going to recast Dolph Lundgren uh, as He-Man. I'm assuming they're probably going to recast Skeletor. Uh, Assuming they were going to literally just get a bunch of unknowns and try and make it on a shoestring budget. It didn't happen because (laughs) firstly, they couldn't afford to pay Mattel the money um for the license and fee it also like we talked about throughout this episode the decline of he-man had really started to to fall away Uh, and also canon filing for bankruptcy is a is a major (laughs) thing uh um, wasn't van damme in that uh cyborg movie yeah Yeah. so they so they and it turned a profit like that cyborg movie actually turned a profit which unlike probably what motu 2 would have done well, I always loved Universal Soldier, which we get both Dolph Lundgren and Jean-Claude Van Damme in that one. That one was fantastic. Thank you want to know why that movie's fantastic? Because Dolph Lundgren front kicks a side of beef. That's all you have to do. <laughs> That's all it takes. That's all it takes. So the, so the idea, though, of a He-Man and Skeletal movie set on Earth again on an apocalyptic wasteland for me, wouldn't have been something I would have wanted to see. Would you guys have been into that or not? No, if it's going to be a wasteland of Earth, just make it Eternia. Yeah. yeah, like why would it have to be Earth exactly? Yeah, why would it, again, why would it have to be Earth? Yeah, I agree. Like if you're going to, they'd already shown that Eternia was a wasteland, so why not have just kept it on Eternia and just kind of done it on a shoestring budget on Eternia? But I, yeah. I guess they wanted to do another Burger King tie-in because you do remember like <laughs> even though they're eating Robbie's ribs and chicken, it's yeah. throwing away Burger King trash, which is really <laughs> um i wish they would have made that sequel to be honest just so that i mean i'm sorry but i I wish they would have made that sequel to be honest just so that we could like kind of laugh at it you know (laughs) i think i think i think that sequel would have been really bad i think it would have been i mean calling it master of the universe 2 cyborg what were they thinking where did that come from the cyborg idea was trap jaw from what i'm from what i Pieced together from what I've heard. Yeah, yeah, they were gonna. Yeah, they were gonna have trap jaw. Yeah, but still, like, I just I can't get where their mind was. But I don't know. Have you seen Cyborg? I haven't seen Cyborg. Yeah, man, I really want to see what the original idea was for that. (laughs) (laughs) Here, because I did the same thing as Robbie. When you hear that Motu two was a script for Cyborg, and then they just adapted it, you're like, oh, I'm gonna watch it. It's kind kind of be like the you know, you, you, you can kind of see where it's a secret. There's no, there's no <laughs> opposing Motu onto that movie at all. Yeah. I wonder, like, now I do need to watch it now. Like, it's I'm a good movie. To... So when we do it on PCP movie night, 
y'all will have to be invited. So <laughs> you got to do something. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I love I, this world. <laughs> There's even Good like le- like oh. legit dramatic like story arc and and motivation for Van Damme's characters with like the family and the farmhouse like there's there's real things going on in that movie where you're like where would this have been in a Moto movie? That bad guy with the shades? <laughs> Super threatening. <Yeah. laughs> I, oh, I think 80s. before before we rate the film, I think, well, before we all go around the room and rate the film, let's just start with Jasmine and get out of the way. Oh, no, I'm passing. I'm not rating <laughs> this film. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do that at all. No, no, no. no. That, You've got no. to know. No, next. Well, what would you give it? What would you oh. give it? No. You don't want to know what I'm going to oh, give God. it. <laughs> I do want to know. Oh, I Jasmine, do want to know. You've got to do it. I mean, look, it's between one and five. It's Mark's birthday. Come yeah. on. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got to give it a... I got to... I gotta give it a one. <laughs> That's a okay. One. That's okay. Look, you're entitled to an opinion. Uh, you know, it's a wrong opinion, but it's, it's I, an I opinion. I agree with you, but then we both be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Robbie. What's your score? Uh, out of five. Yeah. Y'all doing five? All right. All right. So that that goes right along with my you digs. Um, we covered this on a PCP review a while ago. I don't remember what I gave it, but I wholeheartedly. We'll give this a four, four out of five. I think for the problematic shooting, you know, for the budget, for the problems they had with with finding money, the problems they had with their production designer leaving and kind of bringing in the designer to come in and do that. Like, there's a lot of things that set this movie up for for failure and and it failed um, gloriously. So even some would say it was a glorious failure. but for for all of that aside, like it it works, it works for me. It takes the idea, it keeps the inherent nature of the characters. For the most part, there's even a cool woman power moment. It's very brief, but for 1987, you know, you didn't get a lot of those. But when Tila looks at the camera, goes "woman in arms," I thought that was dope. I thought that was cool. Uh, Man at arms, I liked. I like how he's just like, "Don't think when you're hungry." Uh, Gwildor fit filled in enough for Orko for me because. Orko would have been way too silly. And Gwildor actually had like this nobleness to him, which Orko does, but it would have been way more silly. He's like Snarf. You know, he's like the Snarf of I this. I love Snarf. Uh, he is like oh, Snarf. Wow. Yeah, I don't, I'm not a Snarf fan. But I'll give it four out of five because this would movie. This was a movie that was destined for failure and to have anything that here we are over 30 years later talking about is magnificent. Oh, Adam, you go. Okay, so on on the risk of being super biased about like this is just so much fun and just being like a ridiculous giving it five, um, but for all the reasons Robbie said, um, for the nostalgia factor, um, for for all the, the hurdles that it jumped over to get even finished, right? Like it it could very easily have been pull the plug, Gary, you're out of money. He's like, okay, well, we're then we you can't like the fact that it was actually finished was kind of a miracle. Um, for all those reasons, I love it. But when I was thinking about what would I give this out of five, I came up with a new ranking system to get to my answer of four because I paid to see it in theater. I bought it on VHS. I bought it on DVD. I bought it on Blu-ray. So it's four platforms that I paid for. So it gets four to five. Okay. <laughs> nice. All right. That's a good way to look uh-huh. at it. Very practical. So when another platform opens up, like stream, actually there's streaming. Maybe you should go buy it on Amazon. And that would I'm get your five. That would what? I want to get it on a laser disc. <laughs> oh. uh, 
and that would get you up to five. I get up to five. Um, I think you raise a good point about uh, Robbie. You raise a good point about the longevity of this movie. So, like, came out in '87, and we're still here in 2021 chatting about it. So, like, the the Master of the Universe fan base still embraces this movie, and there's a lot of you know movies that do have a fan base that like burn their movies, you know, like or whatever. Like, I was a huge Transformers fan as well. I've still other than Bumblebee, I don't really like any of the Transformers movies. Like, to be honest with you, they're okay. But the Bumblebee one I enjoyed. But I have a lot of problems with those Transformers movies. And actually, they had far bigger budgets thrown at them. And probably, mo- I would assume they all probably turned a profit. I haven't checked. But this film here, yes, okay, it was a, a, a like a glorious fa- uh, failure as you guys have described it but i think here we are sitting here still watching this movie and it's it, it did as well as it could to be honest with you and the fact that actually there was no true origin of he-man so they kind of built that themselves like the you know the origin like we say there's some guy on, in a marketing room sketching an idea of he-man they created a, t- a toy line then they made an advert which had kind of some slight animated footage that they thought, actually, that looks cool. So we're going to make an animated cartoon. And around, at the same time, they're like, oh, we're going to make a movie. And then, oh, how are we going to sell the toy line? Oh, didn't you know? It's going to come with a mini comic book. Literally, these people made this shit up as it went along. <laughs> and, um, but so there is no definitive He-Man. And here we are still talking about what I think is a masterpiece of a film, to be honest with you, in the He-Man world. If you look at my other favourite franchise, Thundercats, like if they were to make a live action movie of that, I mean, yes, they'd need the budget to make it not silly. Um, I would love to see something like that live action. So I think as a as a fan base to see my other favorite franchise turn into a a live action movie, and for the most part, I think it works. There's problems along the way, but I genuinely enjoy it. And I know I'm a bit like you, Adam. I don't know you can't really walk in giving it a blind five, but I tell you what, I'm going to meet. Me, Master of the Universe of the Middle, and give it a 4.5. Very, very responsible of you. Yeah, very <laughs> responsible, yeah. Like, there's some problems, but I feel like it's been respectful of the franchise to give it what I think they did well to earn. So there was a there was a lot in there that I enjoyed. So all right. Well, that was fun. I, I'm I'm glad I got to talk this film out with people because I'm not even kidding. Like I was texting Mark while I was watching it and I was like, you have the worst taste in movies ever. What is wrong with you? Why did you make me watch this movie? And he's like, no, 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 no. You got to keep watching. You got to keep watching. And I'm like, oh, this is terrible. Anyway, thank you guys so much for joining us, Robbie and Adam. Uh, thank you for helping us celebrate Mark's 40th birthday. And just give us a little spot of where people can find you guys online. You can find me on Pop Culture Philosophers on YouTube and on Instagram, on Facebook. If you're on Facebook, join the PCP Army. We are the home of the weekly comic book review dropped every Tuesday night about the next day's new comics. And we do PCP Movie Night on Friday nights, 9 p.m. Central Time. We're about to be launching Horror Fest on the first Friday of September. And I could not be more excited so (laughs) thank you for having me it's been a pleasure station pcp movie nights are so fun let me just tell you guys like if you have not checked those out on youtube you got to all right adam where can people find you Uh, people can find me on youtube at go figure or on instagram and facebook as well and so we are a a youtube channel that takes uh, the bargain bin toys you'd see in, in toy shows so the ones that have been um 
played with too much a little bit and they're, they're hurting and they're missing all their pieces. And uh, we take them and we give them a hug so they can be display ready again. So we, it's, it's a neat trip down memory lane to, to see all the different toy lines and to, to kind of do a little bit of Martha Stewart kind of <laughs> fixing on them uh, to, to get them ready for the display case again. And so we do that. Uh, right now we're in the middle of a series called Mastering the Universe, where you kind of focus on Masters of the Universe toys. So that kind of ties in beautifully here. So we have two more episodes of that. Um, one is dropping next week, which is uh, very exciting for me. We tackle one of my favorite, my favorite toys, which is Stratos. And uh, so, yeah, so find us there, check us out. We are uh, very relaxed, a lot of fun, and uh, we don't take ourselves too seriously. Thank you both for joining us. I have to say thanks for celebrating my birthday with me and uh, just chatting about one of my favourite ever movies. I thought it would be just something different to do. And, and yeah, like I've been on uh, Robbie's Movie Nights, brilliant, brilliant um, thing, and I've seen Adam's uh, videos. I really enjoy sort of the, how you shove the history in there while you're making the toys as well. So, oh, And I, uh, Robbie, am very much looking forward to Horror Fest. So. <laughs> And you can follow us on social media. We're everywhere at Geeks and Niche, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And you can get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Google, Podbean, Apple, Spotify. We are everywhere. So please leave us a five-star review and share us with your geeky friends. Good journey. Good journey. Good journey. <laughs> <laughs>